Right, yeah, we can get started. Recording now. Um, yes, how are you guys doing? I am joined by my new co-host, Peter Angelo. Hi. And our first guest today is Pat Oates. I am the first guest today. Uh, Nick Breen has passed. Um, I'm sure it shouldn't surprise a lot of you. A lot we of people won their death pool. Saw it coming. Um, I won 50 bucks. I think you won 75. Yeah. Pat, someone lost the mall spent. Santa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine Nick Green is your mall Santa with the red beard? He doesn't even bother putting a fucking. Well, thing I was on see, I was watching him at Stress Factory on Wednesday, and I don't really know Nick well, but I was watching him, and he's he's on stage, and ninety nine percent of him is like, I don't give a shit. It's just disheveled. It's dirty. It's whatever. And then I looked at his shoe and his sneakers, and he cared. They were clean. The tongues were out perfectly. So he'd be that mall Santa that would have like the shiniest boots. You know what I mean? Like for no reason. He's like, when I do die, I want you to know that I cared a little. Like it's like having no. Teeth, just one tooth, but it's the most polished tooth. Like, there's no, your mouth is just empty and full of shit, but there's one awesome tooth. That's like Nick. He's just one awesome tooth. And a shit, and <laughs> I'm a not shit, dirty. I'm just focused on these and one a shit thing. Mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Notice this one thing I have. That makes sense. That's actually the perfect, that's the greatest summary of Nick Brain I think I've ever heard. He cares, but yet he doesn't. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, well, now he can care in heaven. Yes. Or hell. Oh, there's no... Yeah, yeah let's be real here. I don't know. He seems like more of a purgatory guy because he's not inherently evil. He's just retarded. Right, he would, but he's also just meeting everybody. He's the kind of guy that everyone will kind of get along with, but yeah. no one wants to keep. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you wouldn't put him in heaven or hell. They're just keeping him in limbo to, to greet people as they pass he to, can't the other, limbo. to the he's, other ones. You and him both are not in the shape to limbo, so That's you can't fine. be there. He was adopted, so I mean, that kind of makes sense. Oh man, someone that's you know what to me, to be and you're adopted, that means that it's even better because like if you're just born regular style, like, <laughs> people people have to have you, but when you're picked, like that's like a draft pick. Someone somewhere a baby didn't get picked and Nick did. Like that's an amazing there was two babies laying on a table. I, I like to think about like a buffet. People walk into the orphanage and there's like several babies and they just point. And then there's this one with a red beard and it's like, hey, I'm a baby. And then like, oh, I want that one. They just pick Nick. Like I, <laughs> I like to think he's had a red beard since he was a yeah, child. Yeah, since he was just born with it. Always came out, yeah. I would pick the red bearded baby. <sighs> that seems like, you know, it, you know when you see like a 13-year-old and he's been through some shit and he looks like 18 or 19? Yeah. Is that how bad Nick Breen was as a baby? He was like a grizzled 35-year-old man. Just that's how much shit he's seen. Even <laughs> well, I wonder if he was ever a baby. Like, he just was born like that. Like, like, he's just, like a potato, just kind of like a root vegetable popped <laughs> yes. out of the ground. And he's just like, hey guys, I'm here. <laughs> Well, now you can go back into the ground with all the other root vegetables. Become a root vegetable once more. It's actually the cycle of Nick. He emerged as a potato. He's put back in the ground, feeds the potatoes, comes back a new potato. He just, but yeah, so he's, he just keeps, he, coming he, he back. keeps giving back, but you're like, eh, I can do without it. Yeah. It's really not good for me. Yeah, like, it's, I'd be better off if I didn't have it in life, but I have it, so it's here. It's, it's kind of like when, you're, uh, when someone brings donuts into the office. It's just like, ah. I really kind of wish this wasn't here, but I mean, I'm going to partake a little bit, but like, don't bring it tomorrow. Yeah, like, this is a. This could a you not have thing. it cream filled? Like, if yeah. you don't mind. Uh, he's definitely cream yes. filled. Ugh. Oh, and then like the potato thing, like, he's better fried. Yeah. Yeah, I, so I mean, it works better. If I'm going to serve Nick Breen in like a. It, well, it depends on the kind of meal, you know, if you're trying to. Are we trying to cook Nick Breen to get laid or are we trying to cook Nick Breen? I don't to think any. I don't, if you're uh, using Nick Breen to get laid, that woman <laughs> is a guy. What do you just go, I'm not him? No. Yeah, it's no, like, it's just. <laughs> hey, hey, that'd be the best thing to do. Just have a woman there and go, I don't know. Like, hold on, here's your other option. Like, oh, okay, I'll fuck you then. <laughs> That poor woman that was just like, what do you mean I have option? Can I leave? Like, no, you can't no, leave. No, it's me, it's me or Brie. Me or Nick. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty, I don't know, maybe some girl on meth. Some girl on heroin, yeah. maybe. 
I don't know. From the porn that I have seen with the women on meth, they still have a higher standard, which is kind of funny. They're like, I don't think so, not unless you show me the meth first. It's like, you're already meth. It says meth whore under your name <laughs> in a video. You can't be picky. She's like, I'm a movie star. Like, okay. Amy meth whore 95. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that was either the year she was born, which is not good. Um, it probably was. <laughs> but if it isn't, is it she that so many other people she's have chosen that one. name and she's the Highlander of it? Like she's killed them all and finally Amy Methor 95 made it and has all the power of the meth. Do you think there's like competition? There can only be one. Is, are there competitions you think among like, like how much rivalry is there among like cam girls and porn stars you think? Well, I've, um, I've met two because I've been doing stuff on Compound Media and they have Which porn ones? stars on a lot. Um, Trinity St. Clair and what was the girls and blonde girls? Southern. Really narrow. Sutherland. I didn't like oh, this. Sutherland. Was she kind of young? Blonde. They're all pretty young. Oh. But Trini St. Clair, Clair didn't give a shit about the other people. She's like, it's fun, whatever. We do our thing. But she mostly doesn't work with a lot of women. But when yeah. she does, it's fine. The other one was like, you mentioned one porn star. And she could see she was upset. So I think, it, I know they care about the rankings. The porn Which I was shot. Yeah, yeah, they care. The porn hub, I guess everybody's just doing it. They, they care about that rank. That ranking brings them money. Um, the higher you are up, that that helps them. The ranking helps them get more uh, their videos seen. Like the algorithm, yeah. the porn algorithm. The porn, yeah, the porn algorithm. <laughs> so it helps out there. So no, some of them Which I guess monetize more pretty much. Yeah, and some of them they, they, they're influencers. I know some of them don't like yeah. each other because some of them will do things that get them higher up. It's like you know, like and another one's like, no, stick you know, stick to the craft. And like someone's like, no, I'm taking a fist. Well, I was wondering like, if <laughs> I was wondering if the porn stars like hate the people who are doing like the amateur. Cam models and stuff like that. Like, well, they, I mean, they all are one and the same now. I mean, they said years ago they hated them, but yeah. now, I mean, that, no, I mean, think about it. There's, it doesn't really matter that part because it's crazy how much we watch porn and no one pays for it. Yeah. No one paid for it. Like, you don't, they're on the internet, they're making all these movies. No one, you're not, no one, if you're paying for a service, you're, you're insane. I've like, there's, you have a level where you're, you're just at, at a different dark, you're doing some fucked up shit. If you're paying for like, like a Hulu porn service or something like that every month. I mean, I, so what happened was I was looking for a particular video right. from my childhood. That was a browser's video. It's just you know, you know, you get that that click in the back. Like I need right. to find this video, and mm -hmm. it's just like two hours later. You're just like, this is an HD enough. It might just be a millennial <laughs> thing. I don't know. Uh, I was looking for this one video, and I was like, fuck it. I'm just getting the browser subscription. I can't find it. I get the trial. Of course, I fall asleep. I forget to cancel the trial, and all of a sudden, I have a month long browser subscription. Um, but did you find what you wanted? Oh no! So the, wor ah. the the worst part was is that if you go to the browser's backlog of stuff from like eight, nine, ten years ago, a lot of it is either deleted, like the video is still there, but when you click on it, nothing happens, or it's like in really low quality, not how it was shot. Uh, so I did send them a message and didn't get a response. Obviously, <laughs> I was pissed. I was pissed. I had to jerk off in 480. I'm not about that. This quality. <laughs> I can't jerk off to this low resolution. No, it's just it's just like I can't see, you know. Well, Hogan took all their money. Exactly. I can't, I can't see like, you know, your your childhood dreams fading away into a I've definitely gone down several times the rabbit hole of, you know, I've watched the porn. I'm not someone that has like a genre like or like a niche. I I kind of like a look of a girl. Right. And that's kind of like my thing and there's certain ones I I do like, but I won't always catch the name or whatever. And a lot of times it is kind of like, oh, boom, thumbnail, and I'll check that out. But there are certain videos I'll get into for, I don't know why, and I'll be like, 
oh, I like that. I hope I remember what it was. And then I won't. A couple months later, I'm like, what was that? And then I'm trying to like search the certain names and things I think, but it's not coming yeah. up. And I'm going down this crazy ass rabbit hole and not finding it at all. And then not even jerking off, getting mad to the point where it's like an hour. And I'm just going through that. I just get mad and go to sleep and don't jerk off because I couldn't find the thing I wanted. Oh, I can't. And then when I finally do find it, it's like, oh, yeah, that wasn't that great. That's why I forgot. And then you find a different video. You're like, yeah, hey, this is, I thought I was doing Like, there was one I was looking for. There was a, I don't even, this is not something I like. I'm not, this is not the kind of person I am. But this, there was something about this one girl, and she talked in this New Jersey, Long Island accent. Oh. And she, yeah, but something about where she was like, oh, you want to see these titties? And like, she was just, <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think I do. And she's like, she's, it's like a POV, and she's in this, she, she walks upstairs, she's supposedly at a party, and it's her best friend's party, and their best friend's, and the fiance is in the bathroom, and he's jerking off in the bathroom. And she goes to go to the bathroom, and she walks in, not like bothered by that. She just goes, ew. Really? You're probably thinking about my titties. I'm like, that's some confidence. <laughs> I'm like, I like the confidence in this girl. And she goes, yeah, you like that shit? And she goes, well, I guess we're going to have to lock the door. Like, well, he goes, dude, he was in here by himself. You're making this weird. And I'm like watching it, and I'm getting more into it. And I'm like, I'm not even jerking off. I'm just like, I want to know how this is going to end up. Like, is he going to fuck her? And she first, she's like, oh, you think you can fuck me? You can't. So he goes, you just keep jerking off. And it's one of those, you know, he's, he's not really there thing. Yeah. Like, she's just doing the hand jerk off, which they all do. It's like, you don't need to show me how to jerk off. I I know how to jerk off. They're like, here, your hand goes like that. Yeah, if no, I don't, thank you. If I don't get that part, if I'm doing like fingertips or something like that, a little oh. friction action. So then she keeps going and she's she's wearing like this red like trampy leather dress and she goes, oh, you want the titties? And then she pulls it out and she's ta she's talking like my cousin Vinny and she's showing him. And she's like, oh, you like that shit? And then she's like, all right, all right, I guess I'll blow you. But then she does the fake blowjob thing where her head just goes out of the shot and into the shot and out of what? the shot. This is porn. You're supposed to like anal gape nowadays. There's, but there's, oh, there's a, this is more about the story and she's just she's just mad and she finally goes, all right, you can quickly fuck me in the ass. I'm like, oh, what a lady. So she bends over into the camera. There's you don't. See any? There's no see a penis. You don't see sex. And she goes, "All right, we better go downstairs now." You filthy son of a bitch! And then for some reason, I'm like, "I gotta find out more about this girl." I don't know why. And she only made like two other videos, and of course, it's just getting destroyed by black dudes. But in her accent, she was like, "You couldn't hear it as much because she's like, oh, because it's so much Shaka Zulu in there." But it was good. She sounds like a nice lady. Then I tried to find her, and I'm like, Jersey accent, Long Island lady. Like no, and I'm like, "All right." uh Sneaking upstairs. I was doing a lot of sneaking upstairs. Yep. Boy, no, I found this other stuff. Trying to like party, like cheating. I don't know. And then one day he's got mad, and she just like popped up in my in my algorithm. Like, oh, they know. Is 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 like porn the only thing you can search? We just describe the scene and hope you find it. Like you don't know. To do that with movies, you don't really do with TV, but porn, it's just like woman goes upstairs, does XYZ. You're Googling that for hours trying to figure yeah, it out. Yeah, then you get like thousands of searches of all that same scenario. Yeah. I mean, you over can kind of do it with movies. It's, if you put like daughter missing, give her back. You're going to get, like, Liam Neeson or Mel Gibson. Like, just that like, sounds yeah. like a porno, though. Daughter missing. Right, you might back. get that first. <laughs> which I really am happy that Google, at least, unless you write fucking or sex, they don't give you porn first. Yeah. <laughs> you're searching something. It's like, not now, Google. I'll try later. That's always the worst when you're Googling a porn star, and you go to, like, the videos tab, and it's just, like, a bunch of, like, interviews on YouTube. On YouTube it's like, no, yeah. what do you, you know what I'm here for. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's but, what I wanted. Yeah. The, what they're what they got into this. No, it's funny. Like, I, I, Google, I Google porn stars just to find out their real name. Oh, I have a weird fixation on that. I yeah. just like to know. Yeah, I like to, like, especially retired porn stars. Like, there's, if we go back to, like, the top 100 ranking on Pornhub, there's a lot of girls in there who've retired and moved on. And they're still fucking, like, I wonder, do they make royalties off that? Like, if you get into the porn industry, you, you take dicks for 10 years, then you retire. Do you still get, like, a check? 
Like, do you get anything from no. that? No. Uh, well, they don't really get paid much at all. They don't get paid, like, per view. Um, they get paid... To make it, To right? make and it. Just- and then there's... Because if people like it, then they'll get paid more for someone, the director, to want to use them because they're getting downloads and then somebody will watch their thing, but they get paid just to be in it. Yeah, I could not imagine doing that on screen for, like, what, a grand? Well, you... I could imagine doing it in comics. We do, we'll go to we'll drive three hours for fucking twenty bucks. Yeah. Like, yeah. So and, and we're hoping for that TV credit. Yeah. And so you're hoping for that's what they're getting. Like they what they do is what we do. They'll they'll do that stuff wow. and then they'll go to strip clubs and then perform as a featured act and they get paid a lot of money for that because people want to go see them go to do that shit like that. Uh, what's your name? Uh, Dylan Harper is one that turned that into a whole thing where she yeah. just does, barely does this. Um, the porn anymore, but she just goes and does these things at strip clubs and does like meet and greets. She kind of looks like she has fetal alcohol syndrome a little bit. Though. Yes, and, and she's one of the ones I like. I I like it when That's you look niche. like there's some something happened wrong early. You know what I mean? Like I need them in my what price range. You? I need to know that I can. I can, like, I'm more attracted now to Lindsay Lohan than I was when she was attractive because I know I can get her at a party uh, now. You know what I mean? I need to know that. I in my head, I don't want to jerk off to something I can't obtain. What's the point of that? I don't. I want to like. This could happen, and I want like real porn afterwards. I want to be like, yeah, I'm done. And, like, I want to know that I can fuck you, but also turn you off. I want to and just make you go away. Like if, if 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 a girl on the video is too hot, it's just like this is. Let's be real. Never happen. Well, yeah. first of all, what are you what are you doing? You're you're so hot, and then like these. Why would you be in the situation you're in? Like your stepdad wouldn't have fucked you. You're too hot. You'll say something. Like your stepdad should only be fucking you when you're like you know okay, like like a six. Okay, I mean... So when she said hot stepdaughter, the guy would have never gone for the mom. He would. He's already a creep and thinking about fucking the stepdaughter, which, by the way, that's why he bought in. If you're, if you're going to go backstory to the porn, why, why else is he marrying that woman that looks nothing like her daughter? Nothing at all. Like, they could at least hire two porn that look kind of alike, but they don't. They're like, and they're about three years apart in age, too. I like how a, step, a porn star becomes like 26, and now she's a mom yeah, porn. I'm like, yeah, what the fuck? That is yeah. no one's mom. I was actually, I was listening to... I think it was NPR out of all fucking places and they had a porn star on and they were, I don't know, I swear it was something like NPR and they were talking about how uh, women in porn are having a really hard time transitioning from the teenage thing to something else to the MILF thing. There's like no middle ground. It's it's teenager, dead zone, MILF and apparently when you're in that kind of dead zone and don't have a name for yourself, it's really hard for you to make cash and I'm just thinking, find a different profession. It's not that hard. Get they love cock though. Do girls really love How cock they, that much? The ones in those videos, too. Yeah, it's a like, passion project. You can't, do you you can't say it's just, I'm just good at it. It's <laughs> got to be a love. Because I, mean, I could, listen, I'm, I'm somebody, I'm very, I'm very prude in, in a lot of ways with that. I, I, just, I could never fuck in front of other people, let alone a camera crew, everyone else. That's a, that you have to really love, I, you can't just love, the money's no good, and you can't just like want the weird fame, because it's not even fame, it's not your real name, it's what you are. You're getting adoration, but not in a real place. No one's in a grocery store, it's like, hey, I saw your last work. Like, no one's yelling <laughs> that to them. So it's like, to me, you gotta love sex. You gotta love it. I just and for the porn stars who say, like, it's different, I only have love with my boyfriend, fuck you. You're getting dick all the time. No. You're coming. I've seen some of them. Some of them do the thing where they start crying and shaking. I'm like, you're not faking that. You're, having, you're twitching. You have Tourette's now. Do they love cock or they just love meth and they can't quit it? I don't, a lot of them are meth because you can see by the jawline. A lot of them still have okay jawlines. Is that what meth does? It fucks your jawline? 
I, what I've what I've seen in videos where I look up what does meth face look like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> meth face. I got I've that. never actually met anyone on meth. You've met Nick Breen. See, I heard the legends of Nick Breen. I only met him once, but I, I've heard he does all the drugs, but I don't know that. Yeah, so. he, we're, we're trying to slowly get him to stop, but he's his own person. You know what else does that? Death. Death gets you to slowly stop. Not, yeah. Well, it's not really slowly. Yeah, it does. It's, it's pretty slow. It's pretty your body, you can die on drugs, and your body's still, still doing drugs for a while. Yeah, okay. Pretty, your body's just like, oh, I'm going to have fun. Fuck you, brain. You're out of here. You're out of here. He's yeah. dead. Woo, keep going. That's usually what, what drugs is. Your brain's like, goodbye. And the rest of your body's like, I'm still here. And you're just partying. Now, Pat. Meth? He like, does meth? What do you, did uh, he make it? Well, okay, he... Don't you make it? No, no, you so make he, meth, right? Nick, Nick Breen yeah. was in and out of prison for about a decade in California. What'd he do? Everything. He's been arrested like 30-something. A decade? How old is Nick Breen? 35. He spent, wow, a third of his life in prison? I, well, in and out. In and out. He'd do like a couple days here, a week here. I think his longest stint was a year or two years, something like that. Oh, hard um, times. Hard yeah, time. yeah, yeah. No, I, mean, I know a lot of comics that were in prison. Yeah, he, weird he, he, uh, he fled here. I... He, he claims it's like, you know, he's like, oh, I came here because it was work after Sandy, you know, Bill. And I'm just like, you came and took advantage of people. The first time I heard I thought he was talking about Sandy Hook. Right. He's just like, I was like, you came here and started doing electrical work after Sandy Hook. That, that's what brought you from California to Connecticut. Oh, it was Hurricane Sandy? Yeah, Hurricane Sandy. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, like to, I like to combine them for my next movie. It's called Hurricane Sandy Hook. It's an okay. amazing tale of just dead children flying around in a circle all over the place. And I don't think anyone did it. Is Victoria Soto <laughs> the, the lead? Yes. Oh, my God. Hurricane Sandy Hook would be my favorite that'd be my boxing name pat hurricane, hurricane sandy, sandy. Logos. that'd be like what like the guy would have been the first round's mine like I, that's a mind game right there after if he can get over that name trying to figure that out oh god yeah i mean nick breen um he's a character that's what people say when you know they're trying to describe someone in a polite way he's a character he yeah, i just well. thought he, i just think he's a goofy guy i oh, met him when yeah. he's goofy yeah he's completely yeah there's nothing wrong with that uh and he's an electrician uh, that makes sense. Yeah, and he jerks Usually, off a lot. people that do like heavy drugs usually deal with any kind of voltage. Yeah, yeah. It's, they don't care. Yeah, that's you know you feel it. You you work a blue collar gig. You see it all the time, right? Drug You're, addicts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's just you know it, it comes and it goes. Like those guys, you know, I've worked, I've worked at restaurants, and it's just like you know. 5 p.m. comes along, these guys oh, are cooks, drinking. Cooks are the yeah. worst. Oh, 8 p.m. comes along, they're addicts, doing yeah. lines. 10 p.m.'s coming along, they're bringing a lady in the back and fucking her, you know, not washing Now that's hands, a method. The woman who fucks a cook at like the 99 restaurant. Yeah. Because Ooh. she's like, he's a chef, he's not a chef. That is a cook, and you got fucked in the butt. Does anyone have pleasant memories at a 99 restaurant? I don't know if I When I was one. drinking a long time ago, um, I liked that they had a giant frosted mug. That's why you were. That was one of the first places that had the giant. Like, mm-hmm. It was cheaper too, like during the day, happy hour. I was working for Budweiser for a while uh, as sales, and we knew if we went there, you could get it. We were already selling them beer anyway, but you could get it pretty cheap, and the mug was fucking huge and frosted. That was all. That's the only thing I like. I can't remember any of the food. Yeah, I can't remember. It's probably fried. Yeah. Fucking bitch. Yeah, it was pretty garbage. It's, 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 it's just another, like, it's just an it's it's like just an a Applebee's, chili, a Chili's. Yeah. And well, fu- ones, right? Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> it's not just shit. like one of those? Well, no, because Applebee's is the garbage asshole of all those yeah, places. Yeah, it is. Chili's is so much better than fucking Applebee's. At least you got a sizzling plate. But they're still the fucking no, chain. No, no. 
I understand they're a chain, Pete. That's what I'm all But Applebee's is fucking garbage. Okay. No one has ever gone. Applebee's is so bad that it has something in the food that makes you forget it was bad. Because you go back a couple months later and go, did I like this? I can't. It, it sounds like Bill Cosby food. It knocks you the fuck <laughs> out. And a couple months later, you're like, I think I still like him. And then you show up again and you're drugged again. Applebee's is garbage and fuck you, Pete. I wish oh, Nick yeah. was here. I went to uh, Chili's <laughs> a couple months ago and um, I ate it. I finished my meal. I got out. Walking to my car, me and my buddies have been, you know, drinking for the weekend, so canoeing, whatever. Get out. I'm like, I don't feel good. Threw it all up immediately, yeah. instantly. Everyone's in the car. We're just like, we were feeling fine. Then everyone's in the car, just like, what just happened to us? What, yeah. what did this just do to us? What, did, what it was like? And it, we didn't even finish it. It was so gross. We couldn't even finish most of it. I always, even if food is gross, I was raised poor. I am poor, so therefore, I always feel like I have to finish it. And I hate when I'm at a certain amount of poorness where I'm like, I feel bad if I throw up because I'm like, I'm wasting the money, which is not a thing. That is not no, I real. Was, I was but in my head, time. I've always been like, oh, God, that's my money going in the toilet. But I'll shit it out. Yeah. I'm so not. I don't understand like what, I, what my one. It's kind of it's not. No, no, no food has ever just stayed. Yeah. And I don't know why I think, well, it took a better tour. So it's fine. No, I mean, I, I stay longer for the value. Yeah. I'm in a bad cycle where I'll eat out like two to three times a day now. I'm so lazy. I'm just like, what's like the what's the bad thing you eat? Uh, I've been trying to lay off the fast food since I live here. The problem is, is I do a lot of mics and I get home late and there's no food open around here because the food around here during the day is fantastic. It's a bunch of you know Brazilian food, Mexican food, uh, Portuguese. It's like nothing's open late. Yeah, nothing. Nothing's open past nine o'clock. So Taco Bell's been my vice, but it's just like. I don't like eating it. I'm usually just kind of high, and I'm just like, and yeah. you put something in my body, and then you go there, and it's like, why do I just spend $18 at Taco Bell, and I'm going to finish it because I'm sick? And then I wake up the next morning going, like, oh, I'll never do that again 16 hours later. See, my death forever thing. with comedy was, uh, you know, same thing, coming home 1, 2 in the morning. I would either hit Wendy's and get, like, a triple Baconator yep. dumb thing, or I, a lot of times I would not even hit anywhere, but I'd go home, and I'd still be awake from doing shows or whatever, and I would make, like, a box of pasta, yeah. and I would just sit there and eat a fucking bowl, an entire bowl of pasta, and then go pass out. Yeah. yeah or order Domino's, eat one before I went out, and then the second pizza, eat when I got home, yep. kind of shit, and I would feel like garbage. And um, what, a couple years ago, I decided I, I can't feel like this, and I was looking up some stuff about clin- I have clinical depression, and I was like, how am I going to, I don't have any health care at the time, how can I do that? And I was reading that with some people, wheat and gluten makes them depressed. So I just said, fuck it, I'm not going to eat pizza, pasta, and bread. And just cut it out. Not only did I lose like 60 pounds, but my depression went away. Once in a while, I'll still be like, I'll look at like a commercial Domino's and be like, like I'm missing a family member. Like I miss, I want that. But I've, I've been happier since I haven't eaten like that. But yeah, because of that, it's hard to find places late at night to eat because I'm like cutting all that out. I'm not eating any bread. I can, I'll eat at McDonald's and eat stuff, but I won't eat a burger. So like, what do I want to get from there? You know what I mean? So it kind of helps me not eat there because I've made half the menu not available to me. Yeah, I'm a sick fuck. I got to let Nick Breen in real quick. Uh, speaking of fast food, he is the master of fast food. Talk amongst yourselves. That was just I um, I guess I've never done that. I've bored someone with my uh, weight loss so much that they had <laughs> the, the room. They're like, you know what? That's fine. When it was when it was when it was porn talk, and I think you're getting booted. By the way, I think you're done. That's fine. I think you're out, and you have to sit in the ball. And I want to I want to watch you sit on the ball. There's a giant ball. ball. You won't sit on the ball. You how are you going to sit in the ball? I'm not gonna. You're going to sit in the ball. I'm not going to sit in the ball. you got to sit in the ball. Go fuck yourself. I'm not going to sit in the ball. I will fuck myself if you sit in the ball. No. <laughs> well, you said, I made a deal. No, I there said, was go deal. fuck yourself. I'm not sitting on the ball. I will go fuck myself and you sit on the ball. I think that's exactly what we heard here. 
Did you close it just so he can bust back in? <laughs> yeah, just nice. so he can. Well, like uh, he said he was at the door. Is and he going to Kramer the shit out of it? Um, Is that what you're gonna do? Yeah, Kramer's a nice way of putting it. I just I don't want to go all the way downstairs. Let him in. Someone will do it in a couple minutes. Pete, you should let him in. Tell me what to do. It was an offer. I'm the guest. You're the co-host. Well, like people are like, oh, let me in. It's just like if you just wait two minutes, someone will come through. That's how we got in. Yeah, just someone. Someone's gonna come through. You a know, ni- oh, just, a nice just, woman. Then I let another person in. Yeah. And if someone dies, that was me. Yeah, it's fine. I let him in. Hootie, the guy yes. that was like Hootie from the Blowfish. Open gate. Well, no criminal tries anymore. The internet's ruined good criminals. So my no schemes. Uh, you guys know Manny Sierra. Do you know, yeah, you know Manny yeah. Sierra? So Manny lives right behind me. Which makes sense because he is Latino. Yeah, exactly. He's Cuban. He's Portuguese. His wife's Brazilian. But he doesn't swim. I don't know if you no, know that no, no, according no. to his joke, but he doesn't swim. I think, but he wears a bathing suit on stage a lot, yeah. which is bullshit. Well, he's Cuban. You know, he's got to rep it, but whatever. So um, he actually, so he's lived in that building like all his life or whatever apartment. That's sad. And uh, yeah, I know. And uh, his uh, <laughs> his uh, his mom lives in the unit below. And like probably ten, oh yeah. wow he moved out that's, <laughs> so, that's rare so ten years <laughs> like about eight or ten years ago I think this was during Obama so it couldn't have been that long ago uh, she sees there used to be a lot of gang violence around here like if you go to the basement here in the garage there's blood graffiti everywhere not like actual blood but you yeah know, the, yeah right so uh, she said that she once or Manny was telling me his mom once saw uh, a guy just go behind another dude right outside my building just blow his brains out in the back of the head at like two in the afternoon Ooh. while she was walking the dog yeah nice. nope. Two in the afternoon, blow out the brain? That ruins the day. Yeah, yeah. You should do that in the evening. Yeah. So we are joined by Nick Breen. Yeah, well, it's the afternoon. You know what, though? That means he had lunch. And that's a weird move. Like, he had lunch and then blew out the brain. You don't blow your head up after lunch. I either would do it at, like, 10.30 a.m. or, like, 9 p.m. If you're going to blow your head off. 2 p.m.? Well, no, he he was... You did the day. You did the day. He was blowing another guy's brains out. Oh, he yeah, was, no, I thought no. he said he blew his no, own No, 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 that, w- that would have been less Killed interesting. No, 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 this was just straight gang violence, just oh. back of the head. Yeah, I mean, because Bridgeport in the last decade has gotten a lot better. So, I couldn't so I watch heard. that. Uh, you know, I'd still be fine. I saw a dead squirrel the other day, and I've been bothered for like a week. I remember the first time I saw a, a live dead body. That doesn't make any sense. I was driving up. I was driving. Oh, I, was, I want you to explain I was, that. I was going. I was going to Middletown, and uh, first time I saw a zombie. I was. I, I was filming a short film with my buddies in high school. We're driving up to location, Middletown, and uh, we get caught in traffic, and we see on the side of the road. It's like, oh, it's a fucking horrible car accident. You know, the whatever. We keep driving by. Traffic's going slow, and I'm like, oh, that guy's face is in the steering wheel. I hope he's okay. Oh, he's kind of limp over there. Oh, there's the EMTs and the police all around him, and everyone's getting put in the stretcher except Did that you go guy. over and touch him. No, we were driving, but I was like, I was like, oh, that's a, that's a dead guy, that's a fucking dead guy at like fucking you know nine a.m. just dead on the side of the road. Could you imagine just driving nine a.m.? Have you never been to a funeral? I ha- I've only been to one open casket funeral, and it was uh, it was for uh, an Ecuadorian. Well, he also got crushed by a tree, so they had to kind of put everything. Back that, I hear that in Ecuadoria, where they're from. Ecuadoria, yes. that's way better than that's Ecuador. how they Ecuadoria. that's how they kill all their people. Just, just the tree, crush. tree fall. That's what they yeah, do. yeah. When it's time for them to die. Could you imagine you come over to America, you save up all your money, you get a ticket over here, you know, you get on, you, you're undercover for a decade, you have a good job, you're making some cash, you're doing a side gig with your cousin. There's a storm. The white people in Newtown tell you, don't park your car over here. I don't want your car here. Go park it over there while you wait out the storm. And then a tree just comes and collapses. And then your cousin is just squished right next to you. Yeah, but the life you just explained is more exciting than most people's lives I know. <laughs> That's true. He was here. He's, he's traveled the world, kind of. I mean, he did it shittily, but he still did it. Didn't really speak English. You know, he, he knew how to say buddy. He's like, hey, buddy. I yeah. hope that the buddy said when the tree hit him, 
time to leave and then like push the leave thing because the leaves from the tree oh, yeah. hit him yeah. and then really stuck it and hoped one other person heard the pun and then walked off to the sunset. You know, that the really guy, the, right the guy whose cousin, the guy who died, his cousin was the one driving, he's the one who in the landscaping business. And I swear he came over to my wife. What? I, they were in the landscaping business? Well, they, Ecuadorians? Come yeah, on. Yes. Yeah. Who would have guessed? And uh, I, I had him. First you said Manny Sierra lives near his mom. <laughs> now you're saying this. <laughs> So the worst part was is uh, I was I was good friends with the with well kind of good friends and uh, I I one you of don't the guys, want to admit to that shit. I had one of the guys come over and do landscaping work and that's uh, not what you do to your good friends. Well, the problem was is I, he was a little he was a little early and I was jerking off and he knocked on the door and like you're I'm like not, whoa don't you know stereotypes sir you're supposed to be late yeah I'm just like oh and, and you know I did a quick flip and tuck but I lifted my shirt up a little too bit and I think he just got a nice shot of you know just my tip coming out of my pants and you know Latinos and the gay stuff. <laughs> They they stay hardcore. But that doesn't mean gay. But it's just Say like I accidentally hi. flashed this guy my hard dick. Well, it was like yeah, hard. You didn't soft. offer it. But I didn't. I didn't get to finish. I didn't get to Good finish. To so it. it's like the blood's pumping. Everything's going. You know, it's looking like uh, right. Yeah, it's not. That's not the. It's not the dick I want to present all the time. That's, I think you have to. Go, well, if he looks and go, not for you. <laughs> you know, like how are you? This is payment, right? I've I've have you ever been caught like someone walked in came into the house early like not answer the door but like came in and you had to like clean up oh yeah all the time yeah that's that, i remember when i was married i would my, my wife would go to the uh grocery store and i'd be like hey why don't you text me on your way back i know that's my one time to yeah. like jerk off and then she wouldn't and then here's a car pull in and you have to like do the shuffle with the pants around your legs yeah. and try to do anything and back then it was like the computer i fucked up my ex-father-in-law's computer so bad like i was looking up back then you was like so so long to look up shit and the computer started slowing down like and crashing so i didn't say why and then he had, went and got it fixed and then he had to talk to us and that was a weird talk oh. he's like hey you know maybe you uh, do a little less research that's what he called it research <laughs> i was like you're trying to find that one video, the Jersey girl. You're still looking for it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, every time I find it, I forget to write her name now. I think it'd be weird to have it written Let's down. Let's get somewhere. a tattooed on your arm. Uh, it's like slutty worth, Jessica. Every time I do it, she's not worth it. Like every time I watch it, I'm like, I don't like it. And that's basically this, my whole life is I look for things, I, I pursue things, I get them, and I'm like, this sucks. Yeah. And then I look for it again. Yeah. Well, I remember I was once a, there's a guy, I, I babysat his kids. This was back when I was living with my parents. And uh, the way to get to my house, there's like a big glass door, and there's the, the computers in the sunroom. You know, my parents were not allowed me have a computer in my room. And the guy was coming up. I didn't know he was coming over. No one told me that. And I'm, yeah, you know, I have my shirt off. I'm jerking off. I'm probably you shirt off, jerk off. Yeah. Well, it, it was the summer. You know, there's no central air in my house. I was See, like the seasons 15. do play. Into yeah. So I was, I was jerking off, and uh, you know, I hear the first step on the wooden step. So I'm just like, oh fuck. And by that point, when you can hear the step. Because it's below, like you have to go up. My dick is at this guy's eye level, and I yeah. babysit his kids. Um, he came over. Uh, he just said, "Hey, how's it going?" I was stressed. I'm like, "Oh, hey, hey, everything's good. Everything's good." I never babysat his kids again. Yeah, yeah I don't think I don't think my parents are friends with them anymore. Either. When I was thirteen or fourteen, I was our next door neighbors had little kids, and they had me babysit to make some money, whatever. And um, the guy, they were married, but the guy, I could hear them arguing that the, the, the couple was getting divorced, whatever. And so the guy, all of a sudden, like, I would go there, like, once a week to watch the kids. They'd go out for a couple hours, no big deal. And then one time I went in the bathroom, and, like, just sitting on top of the toilet was a Playboy magazine. And I was young. I didn't have access to these things at the time. And I was like, whoa, this is a little crazy, whatever. So the kids went to sleep, and I'm like, I'm going to go in the room and look at the Playboy <laughs> magazine. And this is a, and, um, this is a Jenny McCarthy episode before she's all nuts and everything. This is when she was still hot, like in her schoolgirl outfit. And this is how old I am. But so I, I'm 
starting to jerk off to that. And I did it, and then I didn't think about, like, cleanup. And so I just grabbed the towel and, like, cleaned off with one of the towels and threw it in the hamper, not thinking it'd be crusty and weird, whatever. And also didn't realize that I hit a page. You ever come in a sock before? Instant crust. There was no, at 14 years old, not thinking about cleanup or plans. And I also knew if I left with one sock on, that'd be a little weird too. Um, so so I, I, I guess I hit match. a page because when I went to close it up and I went to go pick it up again, two pages stuck together. Ooh. And I'm like, fuck. So I put that back, whatever. They didn't say anything. But next time they called and asked if my sister, who's four years younger than me, <laughs> could watch them. And I'm like, all right, I'll let 10 year old watch your kids, whatever. So I'm not jerking off to kids. I'm just bored. I Fucking courtesy, go to the yeah, bathroom. at least that they didn't say, like, you know, like they there was no they would have approached me if they thought I was doing something to their kids. They just knew I beat off to a magazine. Yeah. So their kids weren't hot. Well, those they kids didn't are- have hot kids. <laughs> I would have jerked if they were hot kids, I would have jerked off to them. But you don't jerk off to ugly kids. No, never. What are you an animal? I mean, those kids are probably jerking off nowadays, right? Yeah. Especially when they're like, I deserve this. Like, yeah, you fucking do, you ugly kid. Get this. I like the guy. One job I wanted when I was growing up, the guy who scouts out children for Disney Channel to say, hey, in four years, you're going to be fuckable. Like that guy. So Dan Schneider? He goes in. Yeah, Dan Schneider. (laughs) Everyone talks about him now. I remember, I'm old, so I remember he was on a show called Head of the Class. And it was a show, it was one of those kind of shows where he was, it was about nerd kids in this smart class. And it was him. He was the fat one. And then there was the other character was named Arvid Ingen, who was supposed to be like the white Urkel, but it never caught on. And it was like, it was them. Then there was Robin Givens was in it, the one that Tyson was punching around a bunch. And then a bunch of other people in it. And he was in that. And then people, also I saw him in Good Burger years later and then saw he was doing all the iCarly shit, whatever. And I'm like, He's a big, fat, gross guy. He's probably jerking off to them, but he's not doing shit to them. Oh, I, th- I thought in my head. Oh no, no, that guy, that guy. I, I forgot about power. He looks like yeah. he looks like the defin- dictionary definition of a pedophile. Like he looks, he looks disgusting. All right, he looks like if Jared was still fat, but like a little less Jewish. Yeah. <sighs> see, Mo, in Mo Green's defense. She didn't have an ID. I mean, four-year-olds don't have IDs. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't have an ID. <laughs> So Nick Breen joined us finally. Yeah, hey, what happened? So did we do the, did you do the ad reads? I mean, you scheduled this and then you're not here. Good thing it wasn't at your house, right? <laughs> I mean, sure, grab yes. a mic. All right, so look, here's the thing. I knew that the guests were going to be a little bit late. And I said I, I might be late. We were on time. I, and I, and I'm, coming, I'm coming here and I'm driving, and I figure if they're not calling me yet, I'm on time. And then I look at my phone and I have like five missed calls. But in my defense, the song Despacito only got halfway through the first verse of the fourth time playing before I got here after I talked to you. Okay. And that is how I measure time in Despacitos. Because I measure time in Despacitos and anything under five Despacitos and you're good. DST, Despacito Standard Time. I, I yeah, understand it. Exactly. I just you set your Despacito clock back, though. That's <laughs> yeah, the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so really, I'm an hour and 15 an minutes hour late. An Despacito. There's a, there's a few people in my life that when they don't answer the phone, because they usually answer it immediately, I just kind of assume they might be dead. McBreen is one of them. Oh, so were you worried, or did you just say, hey, fuck it, we're going to start I was, the podcast I was, I, without him? I, I By the just, way, Pete uh, Angelo, we've got a new host. I, yeah, actually, Pete is my new host. I assumed you died. I have to, you know, we actually had a little ceremony here earlier. We, we lit a candle, we had a vigil, we said some words. Well, did you tell him the name of the podcast? Uh, no, you, we no, don't know anything. No. 
We no. just started. Hey, this is Altered Cognition. I'm Nick Breen <laughs> with my co-host, Jesse Green. We got a great guest for you today. We Who got is it? Pat Oates in <laughs> oh, the house. Oh, yeah. yeah. And along with Pat Oates, we got Pete Angelo. Whoa. I'm the crowd, too. Yeah. I will collect my belongings from my desk after the podcast. And No, you just Ed McMahon the shit out of that. Yeah. That was fantastic. Have you ever had a desk? At my house. What is it, like a stool? Is there a real what? desk, like with a real desk oh, it's Ikea. chair? No, it's Ikea. Don't you, not, you don't own a computer, though, do you? What do you do at a desk? What kind of business do you do? <sighs> Mostly masturbation. Nice. Yeah. You need a jerk-off desk. <laughs> Are you, I, when I was younger, when we first got computers and stuff, I was jerking look, off. Look at the look on his face. He's like, but you don't have a computer. What do you need a desk for? I feel yeah. like there's no computer. He's just jerking. He's just sitting at a desk and then using his imagination <laughs> and just jerking. Imagine if I had a computer. Just staring at the wall. The would be here. The would be here. It's a desk and then instead of like a, a back to the desk, it's just a glory hole to the people next door and he just stares through that. I know a guy who hasn't watched porn in three years, so he claims, but he knows, he knows way too much about porn to yeah, not watch Chris porn. Yeah, tell Chris Warren he's full of shit. It's not Chris Warren. It's Scopaletti. Scopaletti claims he hasn't watched porn in three years. First of all, the fact that he knows the years... Yeah, like he quit some kind of like. I I, 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 I asked him was like, was there? Were you jerking off a little too much? And he didn't want to get into it. But he knew. Well, a, that's like when you work at a restaurant. That's like when you work at a restaurant and you don't want to eat there anymore. So like I'm assuming after making porn for most of the day, Scopaletti doesn't really want to watch porn. I like, but also, yeah, he makes gay porn. Watches straight. But he doesn't. He's saying he doesn't watch porn. But like. You, he's like, I can jerk off to someone's Instagram. You can still jerk off to shit. I used to jerk off to Facebook all the time. Yeah, you don't time. need porn to oh, jerk off. No. no I so mean, is, is he not jerking off or he's not watching porn? No, he, he jerks off. He just right, then, he says yeah. he says he'll occasionally he'll look at a video for half a second just to get some inspiration and then go back to it. So that means that when he's jerking off more to his thoughts of his every day, which means that if you have a conversation with him, he might be you're in. Up. That's, oh, 100% it's, he's jerking off. And I'm, yeah. I'm now looking forward to yeah. talking to him. Yeah, see, he's grabbed... I'm going to talk super it's, safe. It's funny. He's grabbed everyone's dick except Peter's, I think. What? I think he's grabbed everyone's dick except Peter's. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's kind of afraid of him. I mean, that makes sense. I wouldn't want to grab your dick. Not... He grabs dick? He, he does like, a, you know, like in, in football, like the high school football. It's Grand like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just fun. Well, he'll do, he'll do a nut tap right before you go on stage. And sometimes, oh, okay. it, sometimes like the, the ring finger will just get you right in the nut. And then you're just kind of walking on stage with a limp. That's kind of the pain that goes down your leg. But he's not bit. grabbing dick. He's just <sighs> tapping and joking around. Sometimes. He's not a fistful of fun. Well, no, sometimes it is just like, you know, like, like almost like a grab, grabbing a titty. Like if you're doing a titty grab, like a boop, boop, it's kind of like that. Yeah, it's a little light sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah. It's sexual, sexual assault. assault light. Diet sexual assault. See, you could if you tried to grab a titty nowadays, you'd be in jail forever. Yeah. You grab a dick and people are like, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. You grab someone can grab my dick and I can be screaming me too. And then we're like, yeah, whatever. This dude. is your Calm fault down. somehow. Yeah. It's You're not fine. A dick. That's what you want, you cis white male. Yeah. You want that. I'm like, eh, kind of, but still, I shouldn't be allowed to choose. Not in front of people. Well, I mean, maybe in front of people, depending on my mood. That's half the fun is when people are watching. Yeah, we were talking about before. Not for me. I can't. I think I, I can't be watching. I could, I, could, I could work with that. Well, it's, humiliation is just as fun, too. What, what would fuck me is like uh, if I was doing porn, is the camera guy just kind of going under and like in that taint shot? Why are they always getting the taint shot? Why are you down there? No, why are you down there unless you're going to, you know, touch my butt? But like, the, you know, the taint shot? Like where yeah, I do know the taint shot. Why, why is that a thing? Why? Why is that? Some thing? people like to think. Why do some people listen? There's some people want to get farted on. Why is that? That's not sex. Yeah, but those people are. <sighs> yeah, and they're jerking off. That's to a for fart. health. 
But that's, you know, jerking off to a fart, that's a whole different mental problem. Yeah, when people jerk- If you like the girl's asshole and you want to see it like move, I guess, from the fart, I almost could get that. I'm not an asshole person, but if you like that, I can get it. But just wanting to smell the fart and then not fuck, that's the part I don't get. <laughs> Like the like the videos where y'all want to tie a girl up and then leave. I mean, I get it. I'm divorced, but like, <laughs> but like that's a weird thing where they tie them up and they're just writhing and there's no sex. It's just, there's some fucked up people that uh, some for some reason tie in sexual stimulation to just a weird thing. So some people probably like the taint because somewhere they got touched in the taint. I mean, I'm guessing somebody touched them there. Not like maybe like like not like super molestation, but enough where it was odd. Like some <laughs> uncle was kind of like. Hey, good, good boy, good tiger. And good like, team. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the Foch, the Gooch. He gives them all the names. <laughs> so the Grundle, and he's playing around with it. And then he probably is like, "Oh, that's my love place." You know, I, I want to see it. I touched my own taint. Or he was yelled at about it. Like he was dirty. Like his mother was like, "Clean your taint, clean your taint." And he's like, "Fuck that! I don't care about that anymore. I want other people's taint. I want he wants to yell at their taint. Like, fuck your taint, your the, stupid dirty I'm taint." I'm Bob Dylan meets Evan Weiss. It's one of my movies. Oh, okay. I fuck Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. I'm as mad at Bob Dylan as you are at dinosaurs. I fucking Bob hate Dylan Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan meets Evan Weiss. Oh. That. Uh, 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 how many comics can I rip off today if I take all their money and their friends? Uh. So I take it we're very pro Evan Weiss. Oh, yeah. I Listen, I understand what he does. I understand that it... it there's all different kinds of comedy. I'm not mad at a bringer show. My buddy Frank puts one on and I host it and he pays me to do that. I think that if you understand what something is and you make a deal knowing what, if I say to you, if you want to be on this stage, you must bring four people. If you don't bring the four people, you can't be on the stage and you agree to these terms, no one's taking advantage of anybody. But if you say to them, there's going to be industry there and you can get into a club and all, and all that shit's not true. I don't like that shit where you're like lying to these people, making them think something can happen because they think they can jump with these hoops, especially when you're in New York, I mean, you got the enticing. In in his defense, there were like industry people there. They just not the showbiz industry. There was like fast food industry people right. in the audience. There was people from the industry. There was like there was like janitorial industry people in the yeah yeah. There was construction industry people in the audience. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like bringer shows are kind of like the pyramid schemes of comedy a little bit, though. In a way, um, but they're also they're also a means to an end in certain ways too. There are some people that want to do comedy but don't care about being comedians, mm-hmm. and it gets them out of our way. Gotcha. Um, to me, it's a good place to put them because when we go to open, you go to Stress Factory, Mike. There's guys there who will never want to do comedy, and they're just taking up five minutes of our time. And you want to be there, and they're trying to talk now to you like seven. the comics. Now, it's now seven. well, seven. If they, that part bothers me too, and I'm very happy that they made the change. But they, if they're going to change to a seven minute thing at the Stress Factory, they should be filtering out certain people. It shouldn't be someone's first time. There should be some of you guys that have worked hard that haven't got a chance to stretch your legs and do that. And the other one should have to do the open mic until they're ready, and maybe they'll go down that road. I think just learning it now. I do like the way they changed it, but I sh- uh, like last week, a guy went up his first time ever and got seven minutes. Like, he shouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of time for your first time. Not when you're a delusional fuck. Um, Did he get through it? Oh, yeah, they all get through it because their friends are there and they're doing whatever. Yeah. But think about it. When most people first start, they think they've got, I remember when I used to run Jokers, people come up to me and go, how much time do we get? It's my first time. I go, well, you get five minutes. They go, oh, I've, I, in my car, I ran it. It's like 28 to 30 minutes. I'm like, fuck? well, they all think it's because they just talk. Yeah. And 
I'm like, first of all, you can't run in your car. I go, I can't even explain it to you. Just go on stage. You're not going to get more than two minutes done. And they're like, no, I'm going to do forever. And then they go up there and they fail, whatever. And then I tell them, good, you failed. Then come back. Now calm down. Don't bring your friends again and all that. A bringer show is for the people who don't want that, who don't want us to go through the struggle, who don't want to watch all of us fail and laugh and go up there and fail and fail till you finally fucking get it. Mm -hmm. They want to go up. They want to go to the casino. They want to be in front of 100 people, tell all their friends they performed at Mohegan Sun, and then do that once every two months and take pictures and have a nice Facebook album. And that's fine. If they want to do that, that's fine. And they can help sometimes. Because if you're trying to put on a show and you meet one of those idiots, and you're like, ah, we need to get some people in this audience, you can give that asshole five minutes and 30 people show up. Yeah. And yeah. if you can deal with their delusion and their bragging and all that, it gives you an audience. And then the audience sees that you guys are funny and then might come back to your shows again. So they can work out. They're all we all can help each other in that way. I just don't like it when you're ripping off someone who's telling them this is like a Vinnie Beetle thing. It's like, well, this is the only way you can get into comedy. And there's oh, and the, Vinny, well, Vinnie Beetle. Vinnie Beetle asked me to come to his show on December sixth with Bam. With Bam, and yeah, I was my like, friend. Oh yeah, that'll be great, bro. Cool, it's my birthday. And he goes, Okay, buy tickets now. They're selling out fast. Yeah. They talked. They talked about that on the Come Town podcast. It's fucking hilarious because. But that kind of that kind of person like that who doesn't tell people like if you're gonna help someone out really help them it's one thing to say oh be on my show bring five people whatever and if you can do it great but if you say to me I really want to start doing comedy I would be the first person to also say hey if you don't I don't know if you know about this open mic or this place or whatever you need to go hit those mics too and get to work in help them grow not tell them about the other comedy doesn't exist and only do my shows and use them because mm -hmm. that will sour them anyway. If, some of them will do that one thing forever. Some of them want to do comedy and just don't know who to ask or where to go. We all start out. You don't realize there's this fight club underground of fucking comedy. You don't know that every fucking shit restaurant you never wanted to eat in was yep. the best comedy place in Connecticut. It's hilarious. You're like, we only know restaurants by where we perform at. Yep. But you would never eat there. And no, you're like, God. what the fuck? No, I mean, I... And if I could find a restaurant to perform at that I would also eat at? They're used when I first started. That would be a lot it. of them. There was a lot of it. It was crazy because restaurants were had in the back rooms and would give them to us and stuff like that. When I first started, a lot of the comedians, they were all they all wanted to be headliners. So it was, it was great for young comics because nobody wanted to host a show. Mm -hmm. So my, my first two weeks, I would show up at a fucking open mic and just because I could talk. I didn't even have any jokes yet. They're like, oh, you don't mind talking. Do you want to come to my show and do, I'll give you 50 bucks for 15 minutes? I had two minutes. I'm like, yeah, I'll fucking do it. Mm -hmm. And I finally learned how to do it because nobody wanted to do it. I lucked out. Now everyone wants to put on shows with 12 fucking people, but nobody wants to build sets. And I get it. I get it. I understand it. <laughs> oh, sorry that I hosted the first one. <laughs> no, no, I think he means with 12 people on it. The ideal Saturday show should be three to four comedians on it. But I understand it because, listen, the guys who can do the time aren't around anymore. I'm like one of the few guys who can do any time that shows up at open mics. You guys don't meet anybody who can do 30, 40. The, the older comics now think they're too good for open mics, and they don't, get any, they don't get any better, and they get stale, but they don't hang around with you guys, so you wouldn't know who they were. So, how it, so it's, it goes both ways. I, I actually, I met a lot of them at the roast of Chris Clark. It was like, it was like she, a bunch of I was like, supposed to be on that, but yeah, they they're actually, they're riffing on you a little bit. It was pretty funny. They're just like that, that young dude, Pato, it's a Joker's Wild, that crazy motherfucker, like yeah. shit like that. Yeah, it was like a Jackson, Jackson, Jackson. Uh, well, I, I, at the roast for him the week before, I do a Jackson impression. Uh, <laughs> and I was doing that the entire time. So he did. He he was supposed. Everyone's get f getting five. Every, so the entire roast just turned into roast Jackson, Jackson, Jackson. And uh, he, he likes to eat the butt. Yeah, and then he, <laughs> jokes, he, jams, and gibberish. He ended up just sitting on the stage, uh, just like feet hanging off the stage with the mic for twenty minutes, and people were leaving. It was like mm. a nearly sold out. What else? Theater. What else? It, mm. it was it was fucking crazy. And then of course Ben Sheehan just 
levels the Dave room. Dave Sheehan, yeah. Dave, or did I say Ben Sheehan? Dave's one of the best roasters. Yeah, there. No. He's incredible. Um, I, he had a great one about me the week before. He said that uh, young comics that buy my book, uh, when you buy it on Amazon, it has says, if you buy in this book, you also want a rope for your neck and razor blades for your wrists and a suicide note written by Giancarlo Biandino. <laughs> <laughs> so did you know if you are a Kindle subscriber, you can get your book for free? Yeah. Okay. I get money off that. Okay. If you are a Kindle subscriber... I get money for that, but if you're not a Kindle subscriber, they'll give you the Kindle, but then you have to buy it. Gotcha. But we get money for it regardless. Okay. So subscribe to Kindle and download the book. What's the name of your book? How Not to Suck at Comedy. How Not to Suck at Comedy. But it's not... Um, the, the, the e-book is fine, but for me, for most comics, you want to be able... It's something that you want to... You don't read all the way straight through. You, you find certain things that you're working on, you thumb mm-hmm. through it, so it's easier on the paperback. We went e-book first because I thought most comics didn't deal with fucking books anymore. But then everyone's like, fuck you, I want, an e- I want a regular books. We put it out that way, too. So. Well, we're excited. You brought us a couple signed copies, right? I did bring copies, but they're not signed. We do have pens. Yeah. Now, I have a question. How many people are buying your book outside of kind of the local scene here? A lot. Um, really? I actually, Connecticut is the least supportive of all those scenes. Really? I think it's because they know me. Okay. No, I don't mean that way. <laughs> I, I, no, but seriously, I think it's because they know me, so... I think it's like anything else. Your friends know you. So when you were in high school and stuff, you tell me you do comedy, they don't look at you as a comic. They think yeah. you know other comic. You can't be a comic. You're just Jesse, the guy I know. Yeah. I think here, everyone's like, I'm not listening to Pat. I see Pat every day. Why don't I, I can read his articles or whatever. My book sells a lot in Arizona. I, help, I, am, I actually do some comedy coaching too. I help a lot of comics on the West Coast. Do these all. I'm, when I share my articles, I share it like in 20 different comedy groups mm-hmm. and they all use it there. Uh, Boston is very receptive to my book. Um, Rhode Island is as well on the East Coast there. Uh, upper State New York. But then like uh, uh, Cleveland, Ohio because the people I used to write for, Laugh Staff, they were based out of Cleveland. Okay. So they put my book in there and stuff. So it sells all over. But Connecticut's probably the, the least. But when I do the bringer shows, I bring the books and for the comics who want to try I'll sell it to them afterwards. But my book's not a thing like, so if you're not a comic or wanting to do comedy, you're not buying it. You right. know, it's just not for them. I mean, fucking, yeah, those bringer shows. Because, like you said, it's like, oh, you're bringing, you're doing comedy once every other month. It's like, I, I get on stage like nine or 10 times a week now. You it's also, ridiculous. You also want to be a comic. They just want to be popular. It's a difference. Yeah. Like, you want, you want to work at this. You got the bug. I say to most people, when you start out, you know, because you're an addict, but like, when you. <laughs> <laughs> we did that earlier, so you weren't here. It was more fun to say. But um, so when you start off, the first time you ever go on stage at all, and you get a laugh not from friends or family, it's the best high in the world. And you chase that for the, for the rest of your life. You're chasing that first laugh. No matter what, you could, do, you could do better shows. You could think you killed better. That first laugh was the greatest mm-hmm. feel. The bringer people aren't even listening to that. They're just more worried that, oh, look, my, my girlfriend likes my jokes, or I'm at the casino, or I'm a big star. They don't even care what they're saying. They're regurgitating shit they heard, like, in a movie. Most well, watch Bringer shows, they're all, like, quoting Family Guy or just yelling out dumb shit like that. They're not working at stuff. The coolest thing about comedy to me is that you take a dumb thought in your head and you make it so it's universally accepted by people that would never talk to you. I get off on that thing. So the comics that want to do that, you want to keep hitting mics all the time because you want to keep figuring shit out. The Bringer people just want to do their next big performance and they also have to do it once every two months because they can't make all their their friends get tired of it quick it's expensive it's expensive that's why the casino one works though because people are like i know my friend sucks but i can go to the casino yeah. if you have a bringer show at a destination that stinks yeah people don't want to go yeah no i mean like uh i've been like uh, <laughs> i've been even just showing up to karaoke houses and karaoke mics and like jam band nights and just begging 
just being like, hey, you want to do like a five minute comedy intermission? Nine times out of ten, they tell you to fuck off, but right. you got to try it. The poetry room was the best. Yeah, I mean, there's like there's a lot of there's a lot of karaoke bars around here. If you find the guy on the right night and he's nice and it's slow, they might let you go and do five six minutes in front of four drunk people who aren't paying attention to you. But you get to stand up there and hold the mic. All those are good. I, I find certain ones good for certain things. A poetry one or a music yeah, mic? Yeah, we got we to gotta shout out CT Poets Realm because they were like doing the most woke poetry about like, I don't know, the one like girl's like an open letter to my daughter. Like I should have named you Amber because white girls go missing, black girls run away. It was like some real social shit. Some, like, and I then, would have lit and, her three minutes and then, in and be like, and fuck Jesse's, off. Jesse's like, hey, well, we're going to come up here and tell some dick jokes. Yeah. And they were like, yeah. Well, they love this stuff. People, artists of other talents like what we do. In the same way, I can sit. I, I like to go to a music mic and watch somebody work out three original songs because it's writing. It's the same thing. But I love whenever I have like a story to work on, I go to a music mic or I go to a poetry mic because they don't need punchlines. They like to listen to rhythms of things, and you can work out a story. So if you have a story that you don't know how to tell yet, go up there, and you can just f- fucking free word it out that way, and do it. And they give you sometimes like 10 to 15 fucking minutes, because they give musicians three songs. Oh. They'll give you like a lot of time. So to go up there and do a set makes no sense, because that's not a comedy audience set, but they're listening people. And you can tell if they catch on to what you're saying, what's relatable, what's oh, good. Dude, and that those, way. So those different poetry, mics give you different perspectives on how to work on jokes. I, those I, poetry people are willing to listen to fucking anything yeah. for 10 minutes. Not I, the N-word. No, no, God, no. They are, no, they're, they're not well, a fan. They're, Unless they're yelling it in their own no. ball. Well, if they're so, yelling it, they can, but they're, no, they're not. Yeah, they're not. See, I told you. No, so they. But they, they'll <laughs> listen to anything else. They, that, yeah, that room's a lot of fun because it's kind of like, uh, it, it's almost like they like having like young white guys come in there and then we'll say something off brand. And here's the thing if you thank you, if you fuck up, if like you say something that's over the line, this, the, the host goes on stage and you get lectured at for five to 10 minutes about why you said it was wrong. And it's like the first time that happens, it's rough because it's like 20 to 30 people in there. You know, you're the only white guy, maybe you have a buddy there, and it's rough. Yeah. But it's like, it's almost like you're just building endurance, just being able to put up with that shit. Like, I brought a buddy there, and he, he was livid. He's freaking out the host. He's just like, you're making this a horrible spot to do comedy. It's like, dude, this is a poetry mic. This is a slam poetry right. mic in the back room of a fucking library at 11 o'clock at night. What do you expect? It's just like if the guy goes up there, and he's going to let you do 15 minutes and you suck, but he's going to let you do 15 minutes and figure it out. Be fucking grateful even if you have to filter a lot of shit. It is what it is. Exactly. Most comics that are newer don't even get that. An open mic is not a show. It's not supposed to be. It's batting practice. And you're supposed to be, you shouldn't care what the audience is saying or doing whatever. Yeah, you want, you, ideally, would you like people to be quiet? Sure. But they yeah. don't need to be. The key to open mics is you getting the wording down, all that kind of stuff, like your delivery, inflection, all that. And also, if you can make a drunk who's trying to watch TV and eat chicken wings, just turn for a second. You don't have to laugh. If he turns at all, that means you're saying something relatable. I treat open mics like I treat a Facebook status. The same thing. I'll put a premise, an idea out, and see if it gets likes or attention. And if people do pay attention to it, I'm like, oh, I have something now to work on. But if you go there trying to, if you kill it open, Open mics, you stink. Mm-hmm. You stink at comedy. You do because if you're killing all the time, you're just saying things to make comics laugh, and we're not a good audience because we only think of the, we only laugh at peculiar and odd. That was my first two months. Was just like let's say the most heinous out there shit, and it would always get a laugh because it's right. heinous. Because and out comics there. are like, whoa, I can't believe he's doing that. Yeah. Oh my god, a comics comic, uh, Dan Cowhite, who's fantastic. When he first started, that's what he was. He, everything he did was so weird and odd that you're like. There's no way he can be on a show and do it. Then he started really getting, and he's a very smart writer and stuff. And the delivery still stayed there with him in that way. But comics would crack up. If you went to a show, you're like, you're not watching this. Now, at what point do you think a mic is no longer worth going to? Like I'm saying, like the mic, it's just, it's like three comics. It's always comics. It's just not worth your time anymore. Do you think that's not 
That I think exist. I think it, as long as you have a goal set, every mic is worth it. Okay. But if you're just going to a mic to go to a mic, even if it's got a lot of people, you're not going to get anything done. A lot of comics like to go to mics because that's their that's their bowling night, that's their dart league. Like actually, uh, I was literally making that joke uh, about a week ago to my buddy. It's like you ever realize just like this open mic scene is just a bowling league. It's like getting booked on a local show is like you finally get invited to the team. Yeah, and then it's like you, you know, got shoes now. Yeah, it's like you know bowling. You don't really need any athleticism or really any ability. You just keep going at it and going at it and going at it until you get good at it. And I was like, comedy's just a fucking bowling league. Yeah, well, the tell, hardest thing about comedy. Tell that to all the bowlers. Tell that to all the, our bowling listeners. It's not even a sport. You need no skill. That's right, guys. Sorry, we don't give a fuck about first you. the nerds took our carpal tunnel now this (laughs) that was our injury that was no but like the comedy's the reason why a lot of young comics get frustrated at the beginning this is where it weeds it out is because a young comic there's no there's no filter at the beginning anyone can go you just say one day i'm gonna do comedy you can just show up somewhere and start telling jokes and then someone says oh there's another place you can go and just do jokes and somewhere else you can go and no one's telling you no no one's saying you can't do it but then, after a while, this comic goes, well, I'm ready to be a host or be this and that. And then they try to like send a clip to someone, and someone goes, no, this isn't good enough. Like, what do you mean? Because they've never heard no. They've, they, what do you mean no? I'm just supposed to be allowed to do comedy always. And that's the first time where you go, oh, I have to do this with a purpose. I can't just go to a mic and try to make you. If I, if I see you three there at the mic every week, I have to go, I have to tell different jokes now because I got to make Jesse laugh. And he already heard this joke. Like, that's the wrong mentality. You got to be working on something. You're writing jokes for people that you don't see yet. Mm-hmm. You're writing jokes for audience. That's why you should go to shows at comedy clubs and watch those audiences and go, oh, that's what I'm writing towards. That's who I'm going for, like that. And, but it, those, the comics who get upset and frustrated, they quit and they get out of our way. It's the ones who realize open mic is just for me to get better until I don't need to be just at open mics. Yeah. Well, but you I mean, still always need them. It was, uh, I was at the comedy store last year and I went there, I was there for six days. Right. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. You know, you just go in, you're there yeah. for six, seven hours. You, it's cheap as fuck in the grand scheme of things. But you could see even like... Did you go all different rooms? Yeah, yeah. And I saw like, you know, people like Hinchcliffe. Like you could see Monday his act versus Thursday. It was still kind of the same. He's still working stuff out, but it's just like you can see that progression of how that bit is going about. And then even like, you know, I got I got to see back when Joe Rogan was doing Joe Rogan Friends at the Ice House, I got to go see that and I saw his, pretty much his whole special before it came out. But even watching his special, you could see it's like, oh, these, because he did it like a couple weeks before he shot it. You could see like the little things, the little punches that he changed and adjusted. The tiny nuances that you wouldn't notice unless you, I love going to open mics and watching like, I'll go and see Pete work on a joke the first time and then go to open mic and see Pete there a month later and then hear like, oh wait, that was this joke. Mm-hmm. Like that's one of my favorite things of going over going a lot and watching people is to watch that. And to me, it helps you as an older comic, it inspires me to go, I better keep writing. Because yeah. everyone else is growing, everyone else is getting better. I like going I always say it's kind of like in Rocky when Rock, when uh, Rocky gets his ass kicked and then Apollo's like come to my gym in LA and they're sweaty and stuff and he's like oh my god they're hungry they all have the eye of the tiger like that's what open mic is to me I go and I go yeah I gotta be hungry And then- I've been trying to do mics um, I haven't actually ever done a city mic before but like more stuff in like you know upstate New York where there's like a, actually I was down in North Carolina and there was like a 30 person open mic where in North Carolina? Um, Wilmington there's a little room down there. It's a nice little club. Joe DeRosa actually was playing there the night after. Um, I made the mistake of, I was on vacation. I got too drunk, and they called my name, and I missed it like a jackass. Um, but it was uh, 30 comics, and I would say 15 were killers, like legitimately like fucking hysterical. And then I saw a couple of them open for Joe DeRosa afterwards, but there were, I would say half the guys there just went up and talked about their day, and it was hysterical. 
And it was like, now I'm going to these kind of more developed areas. And it's just like the caliber for what you have to be at when you go on stage. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, by the way. I've been doing comedy for like four months. But like just seeing it's like, oh, you can't like there's almost like a like a different precedent. Like you can't try this. You can't do this. You actually have to like fucking try. There is no go up and wing it. Like you actually like you do not want to fuck up in front of actually really funny guys because when your barometer is just kind of like some stone jackass and it's just like if I'm funnier than him, you know, I kind of won the night. It doesn't mean shit. But when you're actually going against people who are really, really fucking good, it forces you to like try hard. But a couple of things. One, it's because it's a new area to you. It's so funny. Like you can go to a Rhode Island open mic and you'll go, wow, these comics are all great. And there's whatever. (laughs) No, 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 but seriously, you go there and you go. They're great because you don't know them. You don't see them. Mm-hmm. Now, the Rhode Island might come to see us. guy can come here and go, wow, this guy says this. this guy. Sometimes it's just about being a different area there. And, and also another thing, too, is some comics develop well if the community is good. If your community is garbage, if your comedy community is a bunch of people who don't work hard, if you go to an open mic and you see nobody with notebooks, nobody working, everybody's just fucking having a smoke break, everybody's just hanging out, nobody gives a shit, they're all talking to the other guys, that's that's a contagious thing. But if all the comics work hard, you start to go to the mics where you see the work ethic you want to see. Mm. So I bet you that mic you went to, all of them work hard. They're guys who are getting work, working with DeRosa, who I have worked with before, and he's fucking, he's a maniac. But um, he's uh, but that's a that's a kind of thing that happens. Some of these mics die because it's just a bunch of comics who go there just to drink and also tell jokes, and no one wants to go there because no one's listening right. and, or no one cares. So therefore, the work ethic is bad, and you don't give a shit. So it kind of depends. On where you're going but it's good that you notice that because that's the comic you want you can have fun but when you go to the mic you want to just fucking put the work in go have a reason why you went even if the goal is just to change the word is to the yeah give yourself a goal every time so you have a purpose for being there yeah that's, that's I mean, a that's, good piece of advice it's a hard thing to to say i think you know the scene around here because you're you're from hartford area no nope, i'm from i live in ansonia so uh, you live in Ansonia. why the fuck did i think you were like in the backwoods of connecticut for no I've, I've i've lived in I lived up that way yeah, in Hartford, so uh, Simsbury, like, like 10, 11 years ago. <laughs> I've lived down this way for like five, six years. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the, like the Fairfield County area, if you will, we got a lot of really supportive guys. And it's awesome to guys. see it good again. When I first started, Fairfield County was very strong and then it died out. And I think a lot of comics either just said, fuck, I go to New York or whatever. And there was no comedy around here. When I first started, there wasn't much in Connecticut. It was Fairfield County, a little bit of New Haven. And then everything was Western Mass. Mm-hmm. And everybody went up there and got stuff. And then things started developing the other way. And then Joker's Wild happened. There was a bunch of comedy in New Haven. And now it's starting to get strong in Hartford a little bit again with Elbow Room and yeah. all that shit. Anyone that tries to get anyone else not to work, you have to worry about them. If anyone says to you, I'm uncomfortable, don't have this person on the show, you got to worry about them because a real comic doesn't give a shit. I'll, I'll fucking do a gig for Hitler if he's paying me. I don't give a shit. I, I can not like anyone in a room. When I'm on stage, I don't care. You know what I mean? Because if you're a comedian, you're going to do it. We can't listen to everyone's opinions and stuff about your act on stage and off stage. Because at the end of the day, comedians, we're all vultures. We all want stage time. If we can get people out of if people aren't giving us what we want, we're egotistical. We are, we're, we're very selfish. We have to be. Because we're going on stage and thinking our thoughts matter. All of us stand there and think for five minutes what I have to say about Donald Trump or a TV show is fucking important. And it's not. But what makes us funny is that we sell it like it's important. And the audience is like, look at these fucks. They think what they're they think that I care how they jerk off. And like and we're like, yes, you do care how I jerk off. I'm a lefty, don't you care? Like they don't it's it's a it's a weird thing that we do, but we have to think that way. So therefore we're not gonna turn it off when we're off stage. So if I see that you guys are getting all this work, in my head it's like they can't be funnier than me. 
So they've got to be in cahoots, or they got to be talking shit about me, or they got to be doing this thing. And there's people who have fragile egos, and they so we have to start to take a step back and go, why are they talking that way? There must be something they want. I don't get mad at them anymore. I used to fucking get pissed. I was a guy who yelled a lot, but now I go, okay, I get it. You're a human. You've got damage. I understand. We're all on stage together, but don't tell me what I can book. If you guys can't all work together cohesively and be on my stage, that says something about you. Because this show isn't about you guys. This show is about comedy for people. Yeah, the show's about me. I mean, Without comedy. Without doubt. But, it is comedy. About, but, it is, but if you're hosting, it's your show, it is about you. And if you book a show and they say, oh, we're uncomfortable with him, what does that say about them? You can't just be professional? Because this is a job. No matter what, if you're getting paid or not getting paid, we're auditioning constantly. This is a, a constantly us going out for a resume. And you're standing on stage hoping somebody will hire you, want to hear you, audience will be fans of you. So if you can't be professional, I could fucking hate you. But if we're on a show and I'm hosting, I'm going to give you the best intro. I'm not going to try to bury you when I bring you up. I want the show to be awesome. And then after the show, we go our separate ways. But I wouldn't fucking say, go, go to somebody and say, you can't get work. That's fucked up. Why mm -hmm. would I get in your way there's so many avenues but that's hard when you're doing that you don't know because you're doing 80 things when you run a show people don't understand now i want i think every comic needs to run a show at least once to understand how hard it is because you can't even focus on your act because you're worried about 80 other things and you're a, a drug addict so that's gonna be harder well i oh. i yeah thanks <laughs> appreciate it hey if anyone didn't know you i'm nick i'm having he a little few problems show that way well, for your ear oh you started the show tragically <laughs> for my drug for my drug problem no because we thought you uh, might be dead and i'm uh, trying to think of the most hey, logical fair, thing. we were talking about meth women and I was like, I've never met anyone in meth. And then they said, I've met you. So, oh, well, yeah. can I get a couple of Vyvanse? I'm all out. Uh, <laughs> he didn't say he wasn't. Well, like, you're, you're, you're talking about running a show, and it's like I come from a production background, like a show background. So, like, okay. run, run, <laughs> right, Pete? Yeah. 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 Run, <laughs> run, he can say that, because he is one. <laughs> running a show is like... Whose joke is that? Oh, uh, Dave Chappelle. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Running a show, it's like, I really like it. Like, it's intense, but, like, I like the high intensity because yeah. it's combining the comedy, it's combining my love of production, and it's just, like, you don't have time to think, and I hate thinking. It's so fucking fantastic. So this guy, well, during my show, the, 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 the venue was, like, in the middle of a strip mall, and he would go in the front to, like, light people and then literally run around the whole strip mall Because I don't want to wanna walk between the crowd so that, I'm the he was, I, I did that at a, he was doing on it Sunday. All night. <laughs> Sunday, that show, yeah, I had to walk all the way around the whole fucking place. Sunday, we did a show in Narragansett where the, I, because of me writing the book and because people know how much I love comedy, I get, and I used to run a comedy club too, I get, I get involved too much and I try to tell, I told Pete in the way there, I'm like, I won't get involved, I won't, uh, I'm just a headliner, the, they know how to run their show, but the second you walk in, you can see it's going to be a nightmare, uh, yep. so I'm trying not to do anything and then right away, the person who runs it goes, well, how should we run the show? And they all look to me. So then I'm like, I turned to this, there was three comics. Pete was the host, and there was three other comics that were all supposed to be there. Well, it was to be two other comics doing smaller spots in between than me headlining. And there was a third guy. And so I don't know any of them. I know one of them is this crazy person, and the other two were just, I don't know them at all. One of them I kind of heard of, but he wasn't supposed to be on the show. So they said, how should we run the show? And they're looking at me, and I go, okay. I guess, well, Pete's, doing, Pete's like, the host. We're starting Pete's like doing, five minutes. Yeah, I'm like, Pete's the host. He's doing 15 minutes. I'm closing the show. So in between, there's three of you. Two of you are supposed to be on the show. One wasn't. So the two of you are supposed to be on the show do 10 minutes. Other guy do five. 
I couldn't even finish that sentence. The guy who puts me five goes, oh, shit. Oh, shit. Yeah, he was Irish. Oh, shit. <laughs> and he gets up and he starts literally running, stereotypically, I mean, runs like a quarter mile around in circles going, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, you're being crazy, Pat. You're being crazy. And I'm like, no, I'm not being crazy. And he looks at me and goes, you, you're not serious, right? And I'm like, you're being a little bit disrespectful right now. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Goes, and then he looks at the girls running it, and she has to validate. She goes, well, he does headline some shows in the area. I'm like, mm-hmm. no one knows that. I go, if you're supposed to be a headliner, why would you just act like that? Right. That was very unprofessional. I don't know who to fuck. I go, you know what? The three of you, I'm going to fuck. Take the three of you, decide who, who goes in what order. I go, which one of you is the worst? And then one of them, the shittiest one, goes, Pete. Pete's the worst. I'm like, Pete's the fucking host. He's the only getting paid besides me. Fuck off. Pete's better than all of you. And I go, and they go, which was the worst? So they wouldn't say anything. So I was like, you're the middle one. You stink. So we should bury you. Put the two good guys in between and put it there. Now they're all mad at me. And I'm like, all I wanted to do is headline this show for a fundraiser. Some lady who used to have cancer is now wearing a SARS mask in Narragansett, Rhode Island. Yeah, she got she got heated. Yeah. That was that was definitely like one of the most heated. Not and I just he, looked, but he, like, he thought I was gonna laugh, intense, but I'm like, no. You've gotten in a while, I think. I yeah, because fuck him. I, yeah. I, I, I'm no, on we a were show. Both squared up, like, oh shit. We're trying to we're trying out. to raise money for this this person. It's a packed place. Whatever the news was coming, and this guy's all acting like an asshole because he's supposed to be a headliner. And she go, she literally goes, figure it out. I'm gonna go introduce Pete. She like starts introducing, like starts giving the setup while we're still trying to figure this out, and we have no information. It's like you guys don't matter. Like I, I'm the pretty princess. Yeah, yeah. I'm the headliner. Fuck off. And then the first wait, so up, a guy who doesn't have any time scheduled on this show gets to go to a pretty full room and do five minutes, and he's still bitching. He was. He thought that we. I think he thought, and I guess I. I, I can she kind of understand this. Show. Well, I can understand this right. mentality. He gets told by her he can do time. She knows who he is. Yeah. He has value in his mind to her. Shows up to the show, thinks he's doing a service. Wow, I just made the show better mm-hmm. in my mind. So therefore, this guy Pat's going to know who I am, and he's probably going to be like, oh, man, we should just split our time. We should be, you know what? I'm going to go home and quit. You should just do the show. <laughs> you take my money here. Fuck my mom. Whatever you want to do. And it's like, and I'm like, I don't know who he is, so I guess in his mind, I disrespect him. But at the same time, I said to him, I said, Did you, there was a guy, I don't know if you guys know Rodney Norman. Uh, yeah. I, Rodney's I've, since I started doing comedy he's one of the first guys I met he's been a mentor to me and he's a good friend of mine and he's he's one of the nicest most humble people in the world but my god he's open for David Tell he's open for Sam Kinison I mean the guy he's good friends with Ryan Hamilton he's run comedy clubs he can he forgot more comedy than we'll ever know yeah. he came and watched the show he's sitting in the corner <clears throat> I'm dying um, flower Flower power? Flower power. So he's watching, um, he's watching the show, and he didn't ask for any time. As I said to this kid, I said, that guy right there, fucking open for Sam Kinison, mm-hmm. David Dunn, all Brian Regan, all that. If you went up to him and said, you want to do five minutes, he'd say, thank you, and he'd do an awesome five minutes. If I showed up and you offered me five minutes, I'd probably say no, because it isn't my show. I want to take it away. But if you offered it to me, I would do five minutes. I wouldn't go, what about 10, well, whatever. That's bullshit. You want to be treated like a professional, act like a professional. Right. And he understood that, whatever. And then the what was it, after you, the first comic went up, and this black guy goes oh, up, Jesus. and he goes up, and he goes, uh, he starts the show by going, Pete just got the crowd quiet. And he starts the show going, oh, he's an older black guy. He just goes, oh, we got a game we're going to play here. We're going to get you guys to say a rhyme. And I look at Rodney, I go, I've never seen him. Is he going to make white people say the N-word? He goes, oh, absolutely. That's, that's the whole thing. Was this guy a Connecticut comic? No, no. named oh, Marvin okay. Wells or something like that. Like no. from, they're all Rhode Island guys. Like yeah. local. So... This is the best, best part of the show, though, because this place is packed. It's all white people. 
And I guess he does a thing where he does. He goes, and if you have a gun and you pull the trigger, you're gonna shoot a filthy. And of course, no one says it, right? Yeah. <laughs> not this day. Uh-oh. Not at the cancer festival. This old man who looks like Phil Donahue says it harder than any man has ever. Said. So proud. He just hard R, clear as a bell, and basically turns and kisses his wife after. Yeah. It was like, and the crowd's like, I think, like he, I think he put a fist in the air too about it. Yeah, he, he was like, like woo, and then like the Marv guy's like, well, uh, no one's ever answered before. <laughs> and then he tried to do a joke about dating apps. I'm like, you can't follow that now. You can just walk off the stage. Yeah, My so, drop. but that lady didn't die of cancer, so we did our job, so. Oh, he saved her. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. Yeah, she comedy did. saves lives. The hard R's for remission. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pat, your full-time gig is comedy. Yes, right? comedy, and now I have a part-time gig. I'm now a, a, an on-air personality for a radio station. Now, how, how, how many years, because you've been in comedy, how 12. Long? 12. So how many, how many years did it take for you to get to a point where you're actually starting to see enough revenue where you can kind of justify... It wasn't even about the revenue. It was about knowing that I wasn't going to get better unless I sacrificed everything. Okay. I needed to put in that much time to do it. Um, to be fair, I probably still could work a, a full-time job and then be better off in life. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather be able to focus all my time on doing it. I've had to do things like write the book, take on the radio stuff, um, you know, podcast things, things like that, other way, comedy coaching to make some money, but all, make sure everything is involved in comedy right. in some way to do it. But it was, to me... Once I understood that I was good at it, and it wasn't just in a local area, I needed to get myself out more, and I couldn't have a job that told me, you can't leave today, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know what I mean? It's like, I couldn't let it restrict me. That's why I, I, I freelance for the most part, so I'm fortunate that I can, you know, if I need you to... You can call your own out. I can stay up till 2 a.m. and then start working again at 11 a.m., which is great. But, I mean, even then, it's like, I'd like to dedicate more time to it. You know, because it's I get on stage a lot, but I don't dedicate a lot of time to actually sitting down and. The comics that make it are the ones who stop saying, "Well, I'd like to, but life got in the way, family got in the way, this guy." Yeah, they're all going to get in the way. You have to sacrifice all that shit. Mm -hmm. All the people that make it sacrifice everything and and don't have those good lives. I I joke around about it, but comedy caused my divorce. It wasn't anything else. Like we weren't really, you know, getting along wonderfully, but I was married for almost 10 years. But once I found comedy about a, now I was about one year into the uh, left in the marriage. I was like, this is what I love. Mm-hmm. And I love my kids more than anything. I see them all the time, but I was like, I can't, she didn't want me to do that comedy. She's like, Oh, whatever. That's just a little fun thing. I'm yeah. like, I need to do it. And if you're not going to allow me to do this thing, but I need to move on. To something that's, else. A, that's the interesting thing too, because people who aren't comics, they don't understand it. They look at it like, Oh, this is like a fun thing you're doing. It's a cool hobby. Like I had some, I had friends. They were actually audience members at that first show. Um, I had friends like, you know, really good looking girls. She was like, Hey, we want to come on your podcast. When can we come on? And I was like, well, that would be cool because you're both nurses. Like, I'd like to have nurses on right. and talk about nursey shit. Like, we talk to all different kinds of people on altered cognition. Nursey shit is a big thing. And um, and and I was like, oh, let me uh, let me be really unprofessional. Um, and I was like, oh, let me look at my calendar real quick. And they were like, calendar? What do you mean? And I was like, well, we're booked up through October eighth, right. actually. Yeah. And they're like, well, what? You don't have time for your friends? Like, this is just some like thing you do. Can't you move stuff around? And I'm like, eh, actually, it's like something that we take very seriously and we People try to don't. do like, you know, we try to do it like as if it, I was running a business. You take that shit seriously. You got to take comedy have, wait, seriously. Wait, wait, wait your friends start hitting you up about the fundraisers for them and they don't understand that fundraisers are where we make our most money. Mm-hmm. If you're not someone who's doing clubs, fundraisers, because 
at the beginning, people will be like, oh, we want to raise money for this thing. Can you and six of your friends do it? And you're like, oh, of course. But you're not. And you start sitting there and going, oh, they raised $7,000. They couldn't give me $500. You couldn't give, I'm the ticket. Like, you're raising money for a, a cause. If you're selling calendars or candy or cookies, those aren't free. They're buying that stuff and then selling it. You know, you're selling I'm, us. I'm the fundraiser. So, therefore, I mean, that's what you should you'd say to people. I had a friend of mine last week I hadn't seen since college. But he messed me once in a while. And he's like, hey, man, my kids are doing a Pop Warner football thing. Can you do a fundraiser for me? And I'm like, well, he gives it a date. I'm like, I'm not available. He goes, well, can you get someone else? I just, he's like, there's like obviously no money in it. It's a fundraiser. But can they do like 25, 30 minutes? I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not referring to anyone like that. What do you mean there's obviously no money in because it? It's in, a fundraiser. There's money in the because, fucking name of it. Because people. <laughs> think two things. One, we're raising money, so why wouldn't you want to give to it? Because they're selfish like we are in their thing. And then two, they think what we do is nothing. Comedy is not really respected because no one tries doing it. Someone goes, wow, I could never sing because we've all tried to sing. You either know you can pull a note or not. Everyone thinks they can be funny. Even if they, Think about it. What's people's most fear when you say comedy? Oh, I could never stand in front of people. It's like, it's not the people, you shithead. You're not funny. So, Pat, I'm wondering, you've been in the Connecticut scene for a long time. You're up there. There's like you and like three other guys, four other guys, realistically, at your level here. No, there's probably more than that. Really? Yeah, so, they just don't come out. Do you, you just don't see them. They don't, they don't come out. Where do they get stage time? Where do you get stage time? Comedy clubs and a lot of people. A lot of comics put on like, in book, there's some bookers that put on a lot of fundraiser shows and things like that. You get that work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But basically just throughout New England. You know, just stuff like that. Like, um, and then... It's weird. You'll go through, once you get to a level where you can do like 45 minutes, people will start, one person will hear of you in an area and then the, you start doing that area. Mm-hmm. Like, let's say like a comic, I meet a comic who's from Albany and then I do a show with him at a club or somewhere. He's a host. He goes, oh, and he goes back and goes, oh, I have this show. You should come here and headline this show. I do it. And then people see my name on flyers in the Albany groups yeah. and goes, oh, we got to have Pat. So for a couple months, you're doing like this weird upper state run. And then you meet the people from Rhode Island. They do that same thing. But at the same time, those guys up there are looking, are looking for it. And I'll be like, oh, I know Brian Bowden from Rhode Island. You got to have him. So then he comes down and just dominates Connecticut for a little. So you try to just like make these like, like these circuits around New England where people need you. And then, but once every year, you kind of go to the same place and then tie in all the clubs and stuff. Now, how do you feel about younger comics who've been doing it for like four or five years who are in the city and just crushing it? Like who are from Connecticut? Well, I don't think time matters. Four or five years, one year, two years, 20 years. You, sometimes you find your groove and sometimes you don't. It doesn't, I know some comics that do it one year and are the best they're ever going to be. I know some comics that did 10 years and then finally... Dave Sheehan's a great example. Dave Sheehan is fucking hilarious, but I knew Dave Sheehan for years, and he didn't always hit that groove. He was doing all right, but he didn't, he, he didn't really find his exact way on stage. He's a great writer, but never found his super delivery until, well, I want to say like four or five years ago, he found that one rhythm he does with those jokes like, the, you know, like uh, Gatorade and all that, the Trojan, is it in you stuff? He found that rhythm, that certain way to deliver his voice on stage, and all of a sudden, boom, he hit it. And a lot of young comics find their voice early. Now, it's be fun to watch what they do a couple of years from now. Because also, when you say go to New York, killing it, what does that really mean? Well, I mean, like... Can I we- mean, you're, you're, at, you're getting a lot of work. Yeah. They don't get paid. Well, my- they're not in clubs. I mean, they're at quote-unquote clubs. Those clubs pay you $20 a spot if you're doing it, and you're doing eight-minute sets, mm-hmm. which used to be great when they were grooming you for TV, but that's not really a thing anymore because you don't need TV. You can do, do podcasts and all these things the now where you don't really need it. You don't really need... So there, a lot of people go there and get worked and get strong. You get to do a lot of mics. If you're good and you move to New York, 
a lot of agents will tell you, move to New York, move to L.A. So you can do 30 mics a week if you're really good to get strong so you can be, you develop all the time and develop new material to do things. Mm-hmm. The best thing a young comic could do is go there, work on stuff, but keep their ties to their local area. Like Andrew Manning kept his ties to Connecticut. So when he goes there Andre and does Kim well. Too. What? Andre Kim, too. Right. Same thing. Andre yeah. Kim, too. Uh, but I was talking about someone else. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I know Andre. We, we get along now. The, the hard thing about comedy, too, is because we're all different type of people, I'm a fucking 45-year-old man who sometimes has to deal with 19-year-old kids, and I'll talk to them like a fucking 45-year-old man talks to another 45-year-old man and realize they're immature and they get mad when they're being immature, or they'll say something to me where they think I should care, but I'm like, oh, I, I can't care about that. Like, you know, I, 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 uh, my kids are your age. Like, like my daughter's two years, he's like, he's like 17 years old, so I'm not talking to these comments, I'm saying to my kids. Yeah. And so it's hard, you, you get frustrated with shit like that. But yeah, Andrew... Andre, I know some comics from Rhode Island that do. You move there, you keep your ties so you can make money because you're making no money in New York. Mm-hmm. And you want to be able to get your longer stage time. But you're not developing a longer set. You're doing seven minutes, five minutes. Oh, no, in New, in New, in New York, York. That's like that's like even like Evan Weiss, even before his shows, he goes, have a good seven minutes. That's all you need in this business. Right. If you're living in New York all the time, that is all you need. You're not going to get more. But those comics, and then they have to, that, that's why comics go on the road. The guys who get the management and stuff like that, they get sent out so they can run 45 minutes of all the stuff they've been working on every night. But if you don't do that for a while, like when I saw, when Andrew moved to New York, I did a show with him in Danbury for Todd Cooper a while back. He came back and he was supposed to do 15 minutes. He said, I haven't done 15 minutes in so long. He kind of forgot the rhythm of yeah. it. That's what kills you, trying to do longer sets. But anywhere you can go, there's comics who need to move to New York because they need to focus and they want to be in that environment. Some comics need to be where they can just stretch their legs all the time. It's wherever you know you can get your work done. It, that's, you, you're not going to get discovered in New York. There's no more discovering to anybody. Mm-hmm. No one's going to see. There's a billion people there. It's like in high school sports. You could be the quarterback of your high school team, and then a college takes you, but they're not taking just you. They took four other quarterbacks from all over the world, and now you're competing with the four of them. And now you four and every other college quarterback is trying to get to the pros. You're getting in better pools. So you move out there, and you try to find spots. Some of them make it. Some of them don't. But I guess depending what you think making it is. I mean, if you're happy just doing comedy, great. Andre's getting good, but Andre's also so brand new that he put himself in that space at the right time. If he stayed here, he would have quit. So do you have any plans to hit the road ever? Well, I mean, I have. I well, mean, like, you know, like actually like, you know, for longer chunks at a time, like your full-time no. gig is the road. No. No. I'm not that comic. Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm not. If I was at that, if I was that good, I would have management and I'd be doing that. You don't just go hit the road. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you want to go hit those places, you're being sent out there. The guys are out there all the time. I'm not going to go... At this stage, too, now, you, you want to be a comic who can open for really good headliners and then headline smaller venues. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I do here. I have two kids that live in Connecticut. I know that I'm 45. I'm not going to really end up doing that. And if I do, it's going to be me putting on a tour that's like Brian Bargainer used to do, which I thought was awesome. And I always talked about how I love the drive he had when he did make himself Alabama one night, Ohio the other night. But I can't do that shit. I can't live from motel to motel, oh, couch I would love to couch. To get passed around by the road like that. Right. If I if it was 15 years ago, I would have done that. Yeah. But I've got two kids. I got other shit I got to do in life. And now I'm my big pursuit now is I'm really falling in love with this stuff, talking on a radio, all that. Um, I'm gonna have a I have a pilot. I'm gonna be shooting for Compound Media, Anthony Cumia's network. Yeah. I'm shooting that next month, and if that works, I'll have my own show on there. Is that and, is that a little? Does that if you're buddies with Cumia, does that make your like? Can you still be buddies with Vinny Brand? If you're oh, buddies with Cumia, they're they're fine. They're fine. They, Vinny's always said it's a working relationship. Really? Yeah, and I also am not buddies with Vinny. He doesn't work me. 
So, um, and I'm not buddies with Anthony Cumia. Uh, when you work for, it's Anthony Cumia's network, but he has nothing, he doesn't even know I'm being booked. I've been on I've been on his show four times, and when I show up, he goes, "Oh, hi, you're here." Yeah, yeah. He's just he's the guy. He's the personality, and he owns it. But it's the other people that are booking it, whatever. Um, and who cares if I can get. My, if I can get myself on something like Combat Media where there are those hungry, angry fans that will come out and support like crazy, mm-hmm. I won't, I'll, though Vinny would have me in because I would draw in Connecticut. Right. All of a sudden, I'd have a reason to come see me and go do that. That with also, I'm doing, I'm being added more into the morning show for uh, PLR, Chaz, and AJ. Like this Friday, I'll be sitting in for AJ from 6 to 10. Uh, and then the other station, 95.9 The Fox, I have my own show on Saturdays now from 10 to 3 and starting to get more work what there. What happened? Why aren't Chaz and AJ on The Fox anymore? Were they ever on the Fox? Yeah, they used to be syndicated on the Fox. Oh, then they the just mornings. switched that. Oh, so they, the probably, they probably switched it. The syndication switched they probably off. just switched it up. I mean, they're the number one. They've been the number one morning show, not only in Connecticut. Like, they, every year in the top five, they go to the, the, the Marconi Awards. They're up for the top five morning shows in the country every yeah, year. Yeah, no, they're wow. no joke. No, so, like, they, they were syndicated for a while to a bunch of other stations. One in Hartford, one there. 1029 and 95. Oh, you, know, you, know, you want to know why it switched? Because the Fox switched their format. Uh, the, now uh, well, I'm on the Fox now they call it modern classic rock but it's music from the 90s and 2000s because that's, well, that's what it is now it's, cause classic, modern classic what because, the fuck is that well because you can't call you can't just move them back what are you going to do you're going to call classic rock oldies and call oldies what dinosaurs what are you going to do it so <laughs> call back ladies and gentlemen it's in the book but um, you, so but that's what it is. I, I play music from the '90s and 2000s there. When I, when I'm there now, and then once in a while, a little bit of late, late '80s. But that's about it. They switched the format, and they don't have any morning shows on. Now it's just music with a little bit of talking in between. Okay. So that's probably why they switched it. But uh, yeah, I've been falling in love with this now too. So I've been focusing on this more, and my comedy's kind of pulled back a little bit in the last couple months. Getting so. paid to talk is the end goal, isn't it? Just getting paid. Yeah, to but talk. Uh, getting paid to talk with my own opinions and having original thought. Oh, on stage, I have an original thought, but having an audience that understands me. Uh, guys like, think about like Artie Lang would never have, I mean, besides the part with the, the drug addiction and all that stuff, he got to be a headliner and stuff because of Howard Stern. Him, People learning his personality, they wanted to see him on stage. He's not the greatest stand-up comic in the world, but he's a tremendous storyteller. And he now this audience comes out and wants to see him do more. So they come out, and now when he goes on stage, he doesn't have to like worry about setting up his personality for 10 minutes or making sure the crowd likes him. They're chanting his fucking name. They already know him. So you can build it a different way. I still want to do comedy, but I enjoy being able to just talk about anything with anyone. And, and I want to be able to do that at different levels too and if i could do that and i'm also a morning person so i'd rather be done my day at 10 well that's like uh it's it's kind of like tim dylan a little bit yeah you know he's like i love him yeah well he's been you know just he was in the city for like a decade just grinding and grinding and grinding and you don't really if if i saw him like you know at the stand or something like that you know a couple years back like oh that guy's kind of funny he's a lot there but like you don't really realize how hysterical he is until you start listening to him for a couple hours and you start to f- figure out his personality and now he's found his his niche not only with the podcast but everything else he's doing with the David Spade thing and all that stuff they're like now that's the kind of guy that once it hits the world wants to be all over it yeah it's crazy but yeah his podcast is one of the ones I make sure I listen to every Sunday when he, it comes out he is he's so funny it makes me want to die yeah. <laughs> like it's 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 just out of this world like he, it's, it's it's at a whole different level uh, yeah. and he's doing things that like it's so funny that his entire audience is straight white angry men he actually there, he has a decent amount of women who listen to his no, podcast no I'm saying but actually. it's really not oh, gay yeah. men and, and no one ever forgets that he's a gay man I was, and so many comics go into that 
whole. That's why I like working with Pete because he does. Yeah, in your jokes you say it, but your act isn't. I'm gay. Everyone gay better support me. You're just trying to make people laugh, yeah. and that's what Tim does the same fucking way. And I really appreciate his his whole sense of humor is that mm. it's not focusing on one thing. He's hilarious. He doesn't. I mean, he doesn't like it when people introduce him as gay. He likes to be the one to break that. He doesn't right. like it when people out him. Well, no yeah. one should. No one should be doing that anyway. No one should ever be bringing you on stage about anything about your act. I know some people do that or like a name. When I first started, I did the Funny Bone and uh, Fred, who's there. It was my first year of comedy. I had one joke. My name's Pat Oates. I'm so Irish. My name looks like potatoes. It's a dumb fucking stupid ass name. People call me potatoes for like fucking years. I had all these dumb jokes off it. My first five minutes was like, I'm baked potatoes, I'm mashed potatoes, all this dumb shit. It was stupid. It's all I fucking had. And so I was going to be doing time up front. And he brings me up from the God mic at the back, and he just goes, come to the stage. He's so Irish. His name looks like potatoes, Pat Oates. And oh. I'm like, that's my whole set. He just did my whole set in the intro. And I went up, and I'm like, hey, uh, did you guys hear that guy? If they didn't, it's, yeah. That's <laughs> exactly I learned I need more jokes than that. But you don't want someone giving up your thing. There but used to be a comic named Adam like, Prue. That's like two, that's like two, like, like what? Like why do people think like, oh, he's the best gay comedian? Like that's they're not like, oh, here's Nick Breen. Sometimes he likes to fuck black chicks. You yep. know, like what's like what would be the because, difference in saying those two things? Because they don't know how to bring you up, and they think every, everyone overthinks silence. So many comics think they have to build up a joke. Like I, I do a lot of comedy coaching. There's a comic. Uh, you guys know Miles. Um, Mortality. I've been helping. Oh, I, help, yes. I will Miles a lot too, and he asked me for a little help on his, on his clips and stuff. He, I, I use great ideas, but he does a thing, and I just wrote back to him on this stuff. And I'm sure he won't mind me talking about it because I really did like what he had sent me. And I was like, but the big thing he does is sometimes without meaning to, we talk too much before we get to the joke. Mm-hmm. We say this and this and this because in our mind, like he has a joke about his job, and I was talking about it, and, and he was going to, but the whole joke is really about the conversation he had at work about someone about Fridays or something like that. But he talks for two minutes about uh, his job selling medical supplies and hospitals. None of that is needed. When you really think about it, none of that is helping the joke. It's just two minutes you could have back. It's a lull. We sometimes think we have to talk a lot to get somewhere. These people that want to bring you up think they need to say something. They think when someone oh, I love is when someone says, "What's your credits?" It's like, are they going to leave? <laughs> is the audience going to go? They're here. What the fuck are you selling them on? You should have put it on the flyer or somewhere earlier. Now you should just bring me up. If they're sitting in a chair and they need to know I was on TLC one time and before they watch me, I don't want to fucking talk to them anyway. And the worst thing I hate is when a host goes. Hey, it's a good friend of mine. Like, what if they hate you? Oh, mm-hmm. good friend yeah. of mine. Very funny guy. But, but, but very funny, funny guy is fine because I hopefully you're supposed to I be. I hate that But one. what if you went up in 10 minutes and you just said the most horrific racist things ever and I hate you? And you go, here's a good friend. I'm like, I'm going to hate his friend too. I hate this guy. And now you walk up and you're, you're like, I don't even know him. Like, you just said he's my friend. Or like, whatever dumb thing they want to say. Or he was on this thing or that thing. Or it's, uh, worse is when a comic tells you, can you say this? This leads into my first joke. If you need the host to set up your first joke, quit. You should be able to tell your first joke. It's like, Oh, I know a comic. He's a big fat guy. And he said, uh, can you tell them I just bounced in from Florida? I'm like, absolutely not. Fuck you. Bouncing yourself. I'm not doing it. Or Artie Robb, who I love more than anything. He's always like, tell him a six foot five white guy. You're like, so you walk out and you're black? That's the joke? And he's a killer comic. You don't need that. Just walk out and be black. Do you know, uh, <laughs> do you, so it's John, do you know John Moses? 
Yeah, very is, well. Is he from Connecticut? No, he's from Toronto. Oh, okay. And then moved to, um, I met him because he was living in Springfield, Massachusetts, and was hanging around that Western Mass area, and I was going there, and he's one of the first guys to really give me advice, and I've known John forever. Um, and he's, I, he, I used he, to have him down here, all the headline jokers, but even before that, I used to put on local shows, and he would do all that stuff, so. He is, he, he was, uh, the first time I saw him, I was like, what? He's incredible. This, how was this guy not famous? Because this, he gets in his own fucking way. This, like a lot of us do. This guy is so fucking funny and he's so fluid on stage and just like, you know when like you see someone who's just like their fluidity on stage is just, it's incredible. John came up in the, in they call it the Chitlin circuit, but the black rooms okay. in New York. Yeah. Um, that's where he went. He was the white comic who looked like Bill Burr yeah. in all the black rooms, but man could hang with anyone. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, weirdly enough, he got a stigma for a while as a black comic, which is hilarious. He's a white guy with red hair <laughs> His from name Toronto. Is, he's so white. <laughs> but, but, he's a, but he's a black, he was a black comic kind of thing. And they say we only work in certain rooms. His He's so honest and so real and so cutting that it does scare some audiences, and he mm-hmm. takes chances. So some clubs don't take the chances on him. So and he also he met a wonderful girl, and they got married, and he has a beautiful daughter, and he tries to keep his life good. He's happy right. with what he's got there. But yeah, he's he, I I've known him forever, and he's one of my favorite comics to ever watch. He's incredible. Yeah, family definitely gets in the way of if you let progression. it. If you let Mike Fenoya, if you guys know him, who's an incredible comic from Connecticut, um, who now writes for Impractical Jokers and now opens for Big J Okerson and all that stuff. When he first started doing comedy, he went out to New York, became friends with Jay Okerson. They became buddies. And he was, uh, Jay said, hey, I think you're great. Um, if you want to pay me a little bit of rent, you can stay on the couch, stay here, and be in New York. Be in Connecticut when you have to, whatever. He started doing that all the time. Started hitting Mike and became this super beast of a comic and then met this lovely girl. And he said to her right away, when they're about to get married, he goes, I understand we're going to get, you know, get married and we have life, but my life is this. I'm going to continue to do this life. Now, he lucked out. She's an emergency room doctor or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like, she has crazy schedules, too, but they split their time. She understood this is my life and that's it. It's rare when that happens. The comics that have the trouble are the ones that have the family first. Oh. And then they choose this life, and it's hard to tell them now you're upside down, which I understand. You're telling someone all of a sudden you don't matter when they were everything. So you kind of have to, like, you really do want to do what Andre's doing. If you're young, move to New York, be alone, you know, don't try to find love or anything and focus on comedy. And once you get your feet wet and get grounded and get comfortable, not so much great at comedy, but make sure New York is your home, that you're not just there for comedy. You found a life around it and are not sad. Then you can focus on other shit. But so, but it's a it, it's a hard thing. But yeah, Moses is one of the. If you watch him live, he's one of the best fucking comics there is. His first album, where he's peeing on a fence, the best part of that whole album is the first three seconds because it's me saying, "Ladies and gentlemen, John Moses." <laughs> it was well, me and Chris Clark that opened for him. So that's like comedies. Comedies like one of those rare things, and I'm I know I'm not the first person to say this. It's probably the most unoriginal thought ever. But uh, you know the thing, like, because like I did, I was a musician for like a while, and like music, like you write songs. They're good. You know they're good. Like, before you go out and do them in front of people, you're like, all right, this is good. Guys, this is good. And everyone's like, yeah, this is good. It's like a generally agreed upon thing. And then you go play them, and people like them, and you play them again and again and again and again. And then in comedy, it's like, dude, I can't do the same joke in front of, you know, I'm not, like, I'm not there. I know there's some jokes... Hot pockets, do hot pockets. But there's like, a, there's you know. a difference. Here's why, you, here's why you can't do it, because you're thinking of it in a different way. Once you, Chris Stapleton was on Joe Rogan one time, and they talked about writing, and it was an amazing thing to listen to, because Stapleton, there's how different they are. You, when you're doing music, you don't give it to the audience till the finished product. 
In comedy, you start off with an unfinished product. Well, in comedy, you can't have a finished product until the audience okays it. No, the audience. See, that's the thing. Don't the audience should never okay anything. That's the part we we think that their laughter is our payoff. Is their talent. They don't know shit. They don't know what the fuck's funny. We know what the fuck's funny. It's your delivery, your confidence, what you do. Then they will they will laugh. We control when they're gonna laugh. It's every time you're telling a joke, you should be trying to make the joke better. It's not about me hearing it or them hearing anyone hearing it. But when a joke is good, people will want to hear it a million times. It is like music in that way where if a comic's really good, I'll, I'll watch a special 20 fucking times. Uh, same way I would listen to the Beatles, like the White Album, because I want to hear it again. I want to hear the nuances of it. When, I, when a, like John Mulaney special comes out, I watch it four times in the first day because the first time I watch it just to watch it. The second time I watch it to pick off the thing I thought I missed. The third time I watch to see how he's attacking, things like that. And the fourth time I just enjoy it again. And I can laugh every fucking time. Because we want to work on every time you tell a joke, you should be trying to make that joke tighter, better, and relate more. It should, everyone should get it. You should not have to say, did you get that? Or is that too smart for you? Or whatever. They should always get it. Every time you do on any stage, there should be a goal, taking one joke and trying to make it that much better. Because no joke's ever done. You can watch comics perform all weekend at Stress Factory and crush headliners and then go hear their album and you'll hear a joke going, oh, that joke's even different than when I heard them do it four fucking times at Stress Factory, but it's even a little bit better because they kept finding ways to change it and move it. It never ends. With music, once you play that song, you, can't, you can go live and fuck around and jam, but for the most part, you're playing, you're not really going to change the words to the no. song because that's, that's why it's different that way. You got to get out of that mentality a little bit and realize that you're going to constantly improve when you tell the joke. Yeah, no, no. I, yeah, exactly. I'm not going to laugh 30 times, but I'll still appreciate it. If you tell a joke a lot of times and then turn to me and said to me, what's my best joke? I would probably say to you the joke that you're like, well, you didn't laugh the last four times. I'm like, well, dude, I fucking know the joke. Yeah, it's I like know you know, word it's like, word. <laughs> I, I can watch a movie 10 times and really enjoy the movie. I'm not going to get scared every fucking time or cry every fucking time the times I did the first time. I, but I still, now I can appreciate it, but I know what's happening. But now I'm just enjoying it. It's making me feel good. Believe me, if I didn't like your joke, I would leave the room. I'm like, oh, he's, and I've done that many times. Ah, oh, fuck, that guy's doing this joke again. <laughs> fuck this joke. I'll wait till he gets better at it and I walk away. Now I'm just, I'm doing a mic later now. I'm just so in my head. <laughs> Don't be. Tonight? Yeah. Where are we going? The city. Oh. Yeah. Don't be in Where here. are you going? Go with, all you should do tonight is this. You should have a goal in your mind. I'm working on this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's a new joke. It could be an old joke. It could be moving the order of a joke. It could be changing the inflection, pausing, timing, all that stuff. Have a goal every mic you go to and then record the audio, listen to it shortly after, and then get the fuck rid of the audio. Don't listen to it the next day. Listen to it in the moment. Mm-hmm. Keep the audio next to you. Oh, Don't use a video. That's no the video. No full fucking five minutes is the ride home when I have to listen to that fucking recording. It shouldn't be because you know what you're already saying. Don't listen to it like it's a show. Just listen to it quickly and listen for the things you worked on. If you give yourself a goal to listen to afterwards, which is in the book, um, if you listen to that afterwards, you can really start to break it down like game film. You stop listening to it like it's jokes. You start going, oh, wait, I said this, said that. And also, the key is sometimes you'll say a word or two that you didn't even realize you said and went, oh, fuck, that works. And now you can write that down and make that change. So you should be, if you're going to, especially in New York, me and Beecher years ago used to go to New York and we would go, we'd go try to hit five mics. We'd get there at like four o'clock. We'd hit the Eastville one back then when I was there or another one during the day. Either one of us might have a book show here or there or whatever. We'd split up. We'd go with, I'd, I'd go with two jokes. 
and I would go to every mic and do the same two jokes, trying to change it every, every time, move around, and we'd meet at the pit, the one that's like 11.30, whatever, and then take the joke I thought worked the best and do that for the two minute, and I'd leave every time with a brand new fucking joke because I had set that goal, and I could build stuff every time going there because it was like going to the gym and just doing crazy reps. Yeah, I've noticed the, the best... I'm a god-awful writer. The best shit I have is just me riffing on stage. That's, that's I don't more. write. You, you, riffing is writing. Don't... If, Right, the way you learn. So if your best way is fucking hearing it and then processing it, it's like probably the same way. Go on stage with a bullet note, just like I did. I'm gonna talk about dicks today. That's what I'm doing. I have a joke about. Oh, I went to this. I went to the store and there was a fat lady and she fell. Okay, go on the stage and then verbally work it out, but record it. Mm-hmm. Then listen to how you verbally recorded it, and then go. Okay, I kind of like what I said there, but next time I'm gonna try to say this. Write it that way. You don't have to physically write it down. Your writing is the recording and the editing, and you keep doing that. I work out most of my jokes on stage. I go to a stress factory with three ideas, and I work them out verbally, and then I start to write them later on because I can now go. Now I've never written a full joke out ever. I'll just write, oh, say this instead of that, or this and that. Oh, this is the punchline better. Oh, this makes more sense. Or they're related to this better. Or this popped. Or this didn't. Or pull that out. Or why am I opening with this? This should be the end part. But just keep working it out and talking it. That's the way you write. Just audio record write down take notes keep going are you doing stress tomorrow no i don't think this week that was my that was my favorite uh uh thing from last week at stress you're like yeah i came with this story i thought i had it real worked out it was real good and i did the story i'm getting a lot of stairs then i just started doing stallone and fucking (laughs) i I did a story about my life when i got thrown out of the navy after two weeks and i did this whole thing and there was nobody was connecting i didn't have a punchline i was just trying to work out i was like this real feeling to it around veterans day i thought they'd give a fuck they didn't care and then sam earlier had done a thing where he said like italian as i went and they all started like applauding like it was the apollo so like for three minutes i'm just like and in between going i fucking hate comedy i hate all of you (laughs) piece of shit (laughs) and they're just all cheering no i like doing stress but i don't like to go every week because sometimes it's hard to uh watch some of the people there i mean that's Every week, it's right, but I, I, mean, I also every, like watching some of you. Like I've run, I know for a fact I've run up to both of you and said, heard a joke that you've both done and said, "Ooh, I like that." Yours is before the joke, and we talked about. I'm actually going to write an article about what we talked about. That's my this week's article nice. about putting putting stuff on a different character. So it, it's something uh, to help yes, with you. Yes, yes, but yes. Um, I remember the first time I saw Jesse, I, I was like, I love the way you wrote. I told you, don't get frustrated. People are going to tell you, don't say this or that. Fuck you. Keep doing your thing. You know what I mean? You th- he thinks in a dark but great way. Now you're writing. It's on a contract. Yes. <laughs> no, I thought I thought of a joke, and I'm writing it down before I forget it. And that's no, like the most important thing to do. It is. It's to just when you have an idea, write it down. Write it down, or put it in the phone, or you do something. Will Make not sure you remember get it. it. Or you will, but you'll remember it in a weird fucking way. It doesn't work. Or the, the best thing is too. I go back and look at bullet points. I'm like, why did I think this was funny? Why did I think this? Make sure you write down enough. Right. You can't just write like. Blue Jays, and you're like, oh, Blue Jays. The one person I've always seen be able to do that was Bargainer. When Bargainer was first starting out and really getting good, he would take bullet points, he'd be high as fuck or drunk, and he'd look at his phone and go, this says sandwich. And then all of a sudden just make up something of that. And he goes later, that wasn't what it was about, and then think of the other thing. But he was so good, at it would trigger weird shit in his head. Some guys can do that. So I think the way you should write is the way you studied in school. If you were a meticulous, huh. if you were a meticulous note taker, 
then you should be that way. If you're someone that, but I, I wasn't good in school, but when I did well, don't mind us, we're just podcasting. Um, so, <laughs> the two gnomes are all mad. So, I wasn't good in school in that way. I couldn't take notes. But if a teacher had, if it was like an oral exam or something like that, or a teacher said, you know, like said these things, I had to memorize it, I could do well. So I'm like, oh, I only can write after I work it out verbally. And that's the way I could do it. If you're someone that writes bullet points, write bullet points. If you're someone that types everything out, type in school, do it that way. Because it's the same thing. You're learning and you're trying to remember. So you should just do it the same way you studied. It's more like um, just talk my way out of everything. That's kind of like, you know. That's always been how I, I, just I vibe. Left school, so I should just leave comedy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good night, everybody. So, so I have to run pretty soon. But Pat, have you know what? What is the difference you've found in your comedy since you've gotten sober? Because you're soberish, right? Oh, I'm sober. Okay. Yeah. Um, the difference in my comedy. I was what you were saying. I didn't really write jokes. I did a lot of crowd work, and I didn't get into. Some clubs would book me, and some would be like, ah, he's a risk. Even though it would be funny, like you can walk somebody, do whatever. Um, I was doing that for a while. I never thought I could write anything. Um, and then I one day got asked to uh, write an article for this group, Laugh Staff, about when Dave Chappelle and um, Tribe Called Quest were going to be on Saturday Night Live when Trump got elected. Because mm-hmm. I put a post about it on Facebook. And then one comic who, a guy who's a comic and also runs that group, said, would you write something about that? It was interesting what you posted. So I went and did that. And um, I started writing articles about comedy after that for them. And I was like, oh, wait, I can write? And I never thought about it, but I can write about comedy. And then I was like, I'm writing to other people what they should be doing, but I'm still on stage just yelling things. Yeah. So maybe I should try to write jokes. And I had just stopped drinking, so I was like, I was able to focus more. Instead of going up there and just, not that I drank a lot on stage, but I was drinking enough and doing other shit where it was just like, I, my focus wasn't there 100%. I wasn't always clear, so I kind of just would wing it. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, let me just tell myself for a year I can't do crowd work. Now, once in a while, if it came out naturally, it happened. But I told myself, no crowd work, just write jokes. And then right away, I, within three months, I had an hour. And I recorded an album. And then a year later, I recorded another hour. So I had two albums in two years, wow. all of a sudden, just by writing. So Sober made me focused and take the job seriously. Now I do crowd work in between, and it becomes so much better. Because it's like icing on the cake. And it feels natural. I can do whatever I want with it. But yeah, the main thing was just being able to take it to be more professional about it. I don't, I don't you're not supposed to get drunk at work. Yeah. This is work. You well, know what I mean? So I got I got banned from doing crowd work for thirty days, kind of jokingly. Smart. It'll, It'll push you. No, no, I got by by like uh, because my crowd work uh is I mean crowd work. You mean like just like insulting people in yeah, the crowd? Like an open mic you told me about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, but so, sometimes it'll go really well, and then other times it'll go like not. You don't understand. Well, you ask yeah. anyone that's been doing like. If you ever been to Darren Rivera or anybody, Rodney Norman, anyone like that, ask about me. I was into, I could, I could make, I can get a standing ovation and walk that same crowd within two minutes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would just go for things that was insane. I had a, a, a lady, a guy come up to me one time at Cumberland Farms a couple years ago, and he goes, "Who are you? Did you ever perform at Joker's Wild?" And I went, yeah, he goes, "You said my wife was a fat piece of shit." <laughs> <laughs> and I go, "Well." Is she? He goes, Fuck you! And he walks out. But that was like there was not like good show. Yeah, he remembers me because, and I'll guarantee you, there was not like a joke in between it. I went, hey, here away. Dave Sheehan, who talked about the roast things, the first time he ever roasted me was like I was going to leave Joker's years ago, and he said about me, Pat has the un- un- uncanny ability to tell a Puerto Rican they're Puerto Rican. That was his roast of me because yeah. that's what I would do. I would just go, oh, you, you're fat, you're gay, whatever. That was that was my whole act. Good night, everybody. You're gay, and I would just leave. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. But then I'm like, 
a buddy of mine who's a, a comic out of Western Mass, Steve Nagel, he goes, your crowd work's good, but your jokes can't follow it. Mm-hmm. So you, you have these jokes that are okay, but this great crowd work, and if the crowd work doesn't work, you're fucked. So you really need to start writing more and then using the crowd work sparingly. So, and that's what that, I really learned to do it that way. So, ban yourself. I'm pretty, you're saying you were banned, but ban yourself. Make yourself right. Do we have a, anybody want to plug anything? Um, with me, just uh, you can hear my podcast called The Pat Oates Show or POS. Pat Oates um, Show. So you can and the book, uh, How Not to Suck a Comedy. It's on Amazon. Or if, on Amazon, it's $24.95 for the paperback and shipping and handling. But if you email me, I'll send you a copy for 20 bucks. That's what I usually do there with no shipping and handling. So, Pat Oates Comedy at gmail.com. Or if you see me at a show, I'll have the books there. So, uh, Pete, you got any dates you want to plug? When does it come out? Just plug it. Just plug it. Elbow Room on uh, Saturday. I'm hosting on the 16th. Take that. Take that, Nick Breen. That's awesome. Check it out. I just wanted to uh, take a moment. Uh, thanks to Bohemian High for sponsoring the podcast. 156 Bridgeport Avenue, Milford, Connecticut. They got all your smoking needs, eclectic clothing, CBD headquarters, very knowledgeable. They'll give you the medical marijuana recommendation if you need it. Cool. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for uh, coming, still guys. being Sorry alive, I was Nick. late. I want to apologize to everybody for being very unprofessional. Um, I'm probably going to get fired after this, so yeah. you won't be hearing no. from me again. Yo, but, uh, you, you added uh, a warmth that was needed. Not just because of your size. That's because I have a fever. (laughs) I'm not holding him. It's because I have a fever. Or you could just say thanks. Thanks, Pat. No problem, bud. And thanks for the book, man. We're (laughs) really excited about the book. Yeah, all I ask is that you do, when you do read them, if you tell other morons you know that it works. Well, no, check it out. It's called How Not to Suck at Comedy by Pat Oates. I did it. It's a good book. But now you got an endorsement. Forward by Rick Jenkins, the guy who owns the comedy studio in Boston. He wrote the forward for it. So Awesome. Legit. All right, well, thank you, Pat. Thank you, Pete. Pete, Pat, thanks so much. Pete, Pat. You guys. We're out.